I love you too, and uh, it, it's it's uh, it's an honor to be with you guys tonight. Thank you. Thanks, man. It's all it's it's uh, seriously. It's you you have uh, one of the best reputations, I think. There's nobody that you can't mention the name Joey Cola to, and they're not like, oh wow, I love Joey Cola. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> no matter hey, who it is, do the right thing and make people laugh, and you've been. It's very simple. Just be nice to people, and it comes back. And if they're not nice to you. You know, if you if you open a door for somebody, you know, and they don't say thank you, we've established two things: that I'm the type of person that opens a door for somebody, and mm-hmm. that's the type of person that just doesn't say thank you, and that's it. You know, yeah. so you know, you just try to do the right thing and be nice yeah. to people, and because we're all here for a half hour anyway, so you might as well get it, enjoy right. the here, yep. and that's it. That is the truth. I like that. We're all here for a half hour we're anyway. We're here for a half hour, man. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it so much better. Yeah. Um, that's it. But that's the thing, though, too. Like, the guys that you – we've talked about it a little bit before, but the guys that you came up with, you had, like, a tight-knit group. Because you started in 79, right? Uh, 80. 80? Yeah. Okay, wow. wow. All right. I thought you started – Yeah, I graduated okay. high school in 79, and, I, and, I, and right after that was 80. I was still 18, you know, 18 mm-hmm. going on 19. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I was, uh, I was working at a – I went to graduated ISAP High School, class of 79, and my best mm. friend and I said, we're getting off of Long Island. We're going to go upstate New York, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rule that place. And it was, we, it was so cold, we just did one semester and came back down and went to Suffolk Community College. <laughs> we yeah, it was so bad. So we went to Brockport State. And my friend and I were Long Islanders and we, um, you know, we always gambled and we had like, you know, we always had an angle going. So my Mm -hmm. friend and I got a chance to work, got jobs at the uh, the cafeteria, Harrison Hall. And and we put ourselves in charge of ordering the food. And in a very short time, we realized that the five gallon milk boxes, you know, when they they put them in those, those, uh, those, uh, you know, aluminum steel, uh, uh, things and you lift the handle and a little white nipple comes out and you put yeah, your, yeah, yeah. Your milk on your cereal. Well, those are five pound, five gallon boxes behind there. And we oh. figured out that those five gallon boxes fit perfectly into the mini refrigerators that's in everybody's dorm room. So we put ourselves in charge of ordering the food. We'd order a hundred extra ones, throw them in the dumpster. <laughs> Throw them in the dumpster and at night. We'd go back in sub-zero, frigid, snow, lake effect, you know, holding each other by the ankles in the dumpster, <laughs> taking them out in the middle of the night, running them up into our room and charging other other college kids $20 a box of milk. So we did that. And then we ran football numbers and uh, had we had uh, uh, poker going on and we were the house and we had so my parents would visit us at college and they wonder why like we had carpeting and cable and all the other kids were like, <laughs> you know we had we had all this stuff going on so we were like little we had like a little gambling operation going on and that one semester that we had upstate New York then I came back down went to Suffolk Community College then went to a CW Post and mm-hmm. at that time I was doodling on uh, names of comedians on my little notepads and then uh wow. I was also working at Augie's Baking Company in Central Islip. 
I was a foreman on a loading dock at a Italian bread factory. And while I was doing That's that, cool. I was going to the comedy clubs, Eastside and Chuckles and working for Jackie Martling doing one-nighters and a guy named Lou Stevens. And and uh, this was back in the early skip 80s. The, you skipped a step. So before you were working at Jackie, Jackie Martling, what was your first time? Like, how did you get on stage? Well, the first, well, if you want to go the, to the real origin, we yeah. have family parties. Um, my uncle Ralph and my uh, my uncle Ralph, my aunt Frida, my uncle Angelo, my aunt Teresa, my parents. Well, whenever we had a big family party, my uncle Ralph would uh, play guitar and he'd play piano, and my cousins and everybody would sing and tell jokes. So at a very young age, at four years old, my uncle Ralph handed me a microphone and said, "Joey, tell a joke. Joey, sing a song." And I learned how to play the guitar from my uncle Ralph, and he's still around. I love my uncle Ralph, and yeah. but a lot of my other relatives are gone. My parents are long gone, but our family party. Were were true. Um, everybody performed. Everybody sang and told jokes and danced. It was so much fun in the basements of their houses in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and Maspeth, Queens, and Ridgewood, Queens, and wow. and out on Long Island at my parents' house. Uh, and it was just a. It was such a beautiful, joyous time. So I was very, very young, and then I went. Of course, I in high school I hung out with a bunch of wise asses, and um, mm -hmm. you know my friend was my best friend was the class clown and i was the class comedian um that difference there the class clown you know what I, that's a good question because i want to get your well, opinion the, on the, that the what class, do you think the difference the, is the class clown runs across the football field naked the class comedian is the guy who talked him into doing it hey crystal line so um so anyway, so I uh, yeah hung out, you know got, got attention and making people laugh and girls laugh in high school and stuff and then and then I saw um, a documentary uh, I was watching HBO about the comedy club Pips in Brooklyn uh, done mm -hmm. by Seth Schultz um, hmm. and uh, he it showcased uh, Robert Klein and Landisberg and Seinfeld and and Joan Rivers and Rodney working at this great comedy club Pips it used to be Folkways Cafe on Emmons Avenue in Sheepshead Bay and it was like okay. a, it's the original comedy club in the whole country Dice started there and and uh, he'll yeah, tell my, about that but my um, family would go my dad my dad has um uh nine brothers and sisters and they they used to go to Pips they used to go yeah. there and hang out and they used to see people and they yeah. and they liked that kind of shit. I was a house MC for three years there, and wow. um, and I got to work with uh, with a bunch of people, Brenner, and, and a bunch of people there, and and um, who was the first guy you saw there? Do you remember? Uh, at Pips, yeah, I think it might have been John Mulroney. Wow, okay, John Mulroney, or um, you know, Vic DiBattetto when I started out there, and mm -hmm. there was a lot of. He people started before you, Vic. At the same time, we both at the same time, okay. Him, but he was a Brooklyn guy, you know, Staten Island Brooklyn yeah. guy. And I was more of a Long Island guy, but but back okay. then, you know, Peter Bales told us early that you have to you have to. There's a lot of Long Island comics that just wanted to stay on Long Island. At that time, you could. There was eight full time clubs on Long Island and wow. one nighters. And at that point, it was it was you know Monday to Sunday all the way around. You could you can get on stage every single night. So when I was going to CW Post, I was changing in my car, going to the bakery, doing, working at the bakery. And then changing my car again and going on stage at the comedy clubs, you mm -hmm. know. So um, I, I was I really wanted it bad. So wow, I, I, I sacrificed a lot, sleep. And who had the Who had the tougher rooms? Was it long? Was there like a rivalry between Long Island, the Brooklyn scene? Uh, no, no rivalry. The gig, That's cool. It was just a gig, and you know, yeah. If you, I feel like you guys back then. 
I feel like you guys back then really kind of, you did have like a solid camaraderie. Like you, you helped each other out. You looked after each other. You gave each other jokes if you needed to. Do you feel like that's the, that's kind of gone now? No, I feel it's, it's just as strong now on, on Long Island. I know it is. Oh yeah. Um, It was just, it was, it was a, there's a camaraderie now and there was a camaraderie then, but it was just a different type of camaraderie. You know, you're in the trenches Mm -hmm. with each other and you're sharing these experiences with each, with each other. But back then the audiences weren't so savvy to stand up comedy. So they, okay. they didn't until the, until the later eighties, they didn't see as much of it on TV. Mm. So they felt they can come out and get drunk and, and, and not act like an audience. So there's a lot more hecklers. We re- worked rooms with, uh, with fences around the stage and stuff and wow, you know, things being thrown at you and this and that. It was a real battleground a lot of times. Wow. And when people heckled you, you know, it was, uh, it was, if you didn't handle it right, it could have been a fight, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's some of those videos, man, from back in the day that I'm amazed at. There's like, uh, I don't remember who it was, but there's a guy who hits another dude in the head with his guitar. He's a guitar act. Have right. you seen this? And he uh-huh. and he and he like clocks the dude in the no. front row in the head with a guitar. No, I, I haven't seen that. Uh, I can tell you a story about me. I, I had a guy. I was working east of talking on Long Island one time. There's yeah. only a few of us, a few people in the audience, and and the guy who went on before me pissed pissed off this. Uh, old fisherman guy and mm-hmm. um we were on the second floor and there was a restaurant down below and um by the time i got on he was really really drunk and and then he was heckling me so the owner picked him up and threw him out the fire escape of the second floor and he fell down the stairs and fell down anyway he pulled this big knife out and stabbed the waitress in the way in the restaurant downstairs holy shit yeah 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 so they called the police and i had to be walked to my car and Oh, I could tell you all kinds of stuff. I was working pips one time. Rogan just mentioned this on the show. He meant uh-huh. he liked to mention this story um, about how I was working pips. And if you ever went there, did you ever go to pips? You ever, you ever seen pips? I, I've ne- I was no, it was gone by the time I was born. I was born in okay, '84. So, so okay, so so he so it was like you worked you worked your way around the back wall and got on stage behind a piano, but in mm. front of you there was like a pit. It was a pit, and then the seats went gradually up to the back of the room. And in okay. that pit, in that pit, you know, uh, you could look. You literally look right, right straight down on like four or five tables, and mm-hmm. the people in the back can't really see the hands or anything of the people in the pit. So I'm on stage, and I'm a young comedian doing my act. Hey, how you doing? And welcome to the show. You know, and this guy, these two mafia guys, and this girl. Um, mm-hmm. This guy takes a gun out and puts it right on his lap. And he's looking up at me. He's looking at me like this going, I'm going like, I'm doing my jokes. Hey, man, how you doing? And what's going on? And my mother this and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Right. He's looking up at me going, fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. Yeah, you're real funny. Yeah, that's real funny. You're an asshole. Fuck you. Oh, and he goes, Jesus. yeah, what are you going to do? And he's got the gun on his lap. There's right. a big silver, like a nickel-plated gun. And I'm 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 trying to stay in my act. Hey, look at that! We're having fun here. Meanwhile, I'm looking down. This guy's looking at me, and only I could hear him because he's whispering it loud enough where I can hear him saying that. So, and he had a gun, so I wasn't really going to do much. <laughs> yeah, turns you out the get- owner knew who he was too. Oh, he's here every week. Don't worry about him. He's not going. <laughs> you know. <laughs> he's yeah. like he's only got a couple bullets in there. He's yeah. not even. It's in a couple bullets in the chamber. Did you ever get in any fights, or were you mostly able to avoid that kind of shit? I was at a, um, one, well, two, two, two times. Well, well, one was the, the most memorable one. I was at the brokerage here on Long Island mm-hmm. many years ago. It must have been like 18, 20 years ago. And right. 
I was working with my friend Steve O, uh, not Steve O from Jackass, an another comic Steve O, who okay. later moved to LA and had a product placement company and he writes for National oh, Lampoon. Wow. But um, him and I were working up in Connecticut. And, um, you know, the bars were so rough back then that what we would do is when we would go in, we'd order uh, some Budweiser's. And we'd go to the bathroom because they got the amber-colored bottle. We'd go to the mm. bathroom and empty the beer out and fill them up with water. And then we'd bring them up two at a time And when we went on stage and put them on the stool. And then we would just be like guzzling beer. So the audience was like a rowdy audience, and they thought we were drinking beer with them. So if you showed like, hey, cheers, everybody, thanks for coming out, and you're guzzling, but you're guzzling the water, and right. they're all guzzling beer, and they're yelling, and you know they don't even care. And, so right. So um, I remember we we did that show and somebody threw a bottle at my friend. Holy and, shit! And um, it missed him, but it, it made us so mad and like nobody really did anything. We just finished the show, got the money, went home. And right. I I remember being being both of us being so shocked that somebody like this bottle went whipping right past his head. Yeah. So what happened to me was um, about two weeks after that, I'm working at the brokerage. And um, I do this bit about White Castle. You want cheese on that cheeseburger? Yeah. And this guy has a cheese platter, and he's got a big chunk of like. <laughs> he's got like um, you know, like all kinds of stuff on his. He t and he, when I said you want cheese on that cheeseburger, he thought it would be funny to take the chunk of cheese and whip it at me on stage. Oh my and it God. goes right past my head. So I right. go, "Who did that?" Now it's the brokerage. So I got my. My cousins in the audience. I got my friends in the audience. I got, mm -hmm. you know, I got leather jackets and pinky rings in the audience. Right. The whole, <laughs> and they're all, you know, they're all, hey, that's Joey. He's my buddy. What are you doing? Yeah. So they, long story short, my friends and the bouncer picked this guy up bodily and threw him out into the street. And uh, I wound up, uh, before they did that, I, I actually took a piece of cauliflower, dipped it in ketchup and, ketchup and threw it back. <laughs> and, it, and it was like a whole big thing. But I finished my act, and then, uh, and then yeah. I went outside to see the guy, and he wound up apologizing to me. But um, yeah, crazy. they always do that shit. Oh, that is yeah. fucking nuts, man. And this yeah. is so. This photo was this. You said this is back when you were doing impressions of. Uh, yeah, I used to do Burt Young, Paulie from the Rocky movies. You know, I used to right do about that, and that was uh, yeah. That I had just changed my name to Joey Cola K O L A from K O E H L E R, the real way to spell it. Right. You know, so yeah. And that was that was also Peter Bales in the corner. You guys was yeah. he a contemporary of yours, or did you start at the same time as Peter? No, no. Peter started with with Seinfeld. He was actually doing wow. that. You know, Pete's the one who told me to do the city clubs as well as the Long Island clubs. You know, Long Island's got uh, four million people here, so mm -hmm. you know uh, that's the size of a, that's as many as a lot of states have. So mm -hmm. you could be you could just work Long Island and make a decent living. Like I said back in the wow. day clubs everywhere and now with the governor's guys is brokerage mcguire's and levittown and i heard they just got a couple other things going on so nice. I mean, you can pretty yeah, much this is you were just back at governor's recently yeah right? last weekend that's a picture from last weekend there we did we did well we were able to put a third of the people in there so we did about a, 110 people which was good um mm. but yeah you were able to do uh just stay on long island they were you know back in the day there were a few cities you didn't have to leave boston philly um, right. You, know, you could stay on Long Island. You could stay in New York, San Francisco, the whole state of Florida, which is where I got to meet and uh, the Regan boys down there and and work with them and and um, oh Brian and his brother. Go, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I got to go to Chicago and I met AJ Lentini and Bill Gorgo and and um, wow. 
Nick, Nick Constantino, Nick Carmen Constantino, and, and the Chicago guys took me under their wing, and, and Lenny Clark took me under his wing up in Boston. And, and um, oh, you know, there, it was a very, there was a lot of camaraderie, you know. We liked to help each other because um, it, there still wasn't a lot of us. There wasn't right. like everybody and their brother. There's a lot of people now, you know, if they do three open mics, they call themselves a comedian. I mean, in my book, you got to be able to make a living at this for a good five, ten years. Pay your mortgage, yeah. or pay your bills with making, with doing comedy and going on the road. I mean, I did yeah. trips. I did the road. I was in every state. I went to England, Canada. I went everywhere to do it. You know, and I went with my wife from the beginning. And luckily, we had a good support system. You know, she had a sister and a mother, and the, and they all had kids. And like my house was the big kibbutz and I would go out and just go bring back worms to my nest. You know, so <laughs> did you that, meet, did you meet your wife before doing comedy yeah, or did you meet yeah, her? Yeah. Oh, you did. Wow. Yeah, okay. We, actually, um, we live three blocks away from each other and um, she wow. met at a party right next door to my, to her house. It was my brother's friend having a graduate, a high school graduation party. And she's wow. beautiful. My wife, she's, she had long black hair and dark. Um, she looked like the girl from Ipanema. So I thought she was a foreign exchange student. So I went up to her. And I go, would you like to go to Burger? I said, this food's the food's not coming out at this party. So I said, would you like to go to Burger King? Burger King. And she goes, I live right next door. Why are you talking like that? Turns out she's Italian. So we went to Burger King, and I got the veal parmesan sandwich. Which she's like, what kind of Italian are you eating right. a veal parmesan sandwich from Burger King? And wow. uh, she was seventeen. I was nineteen. We've been together ever since. That's incredible. And yeah. she, what was she did, when you told her you wanted to do stand up for a living? Was she cool with it, or was she like, could you maybe? She work was at a cool fact? with it. She was cool. Wow. She, she saw um, you know, I I I was lucky enough to when I first got into it. You know, I was working at the Italian bread factory and going to college, and I was making three dollars and sixty five cents an hour, and I was wow. which was about sixty dollars a week. So when I went into the East Side Comedy Club, first I did Dixon's. I did. I went on a couple of time at, at times at Richard M. Dixon's, and and then uh, Jackie had a place called the Crow's Nest. I would go on, but I just be, okay. you know, just uh, yeah, just do it like a minute or two and walk off. It was nothing really. But then right. I went into the East Side Comedy Club on an audition night, and Pete uh, Pete O'Ritchie was emceeing, and um, I I did about five solid minutes, and it came from real anger. I, I spoke from from my heart, you know. And yeah. I killed for five minutes. And I came off stage and Richie Minavini handed me a $20 bill. And he said, I, I'll give you another 20 if you come back and do it again next week. You want to want a spot wow. next week? I said, yeah. So, I mean, I was working all weekend going to college for $60. I talked for five minutes and he handed me $20. Yeah. So I, like, I saw God. I was like, whoa. And then they started <laughs> saying, well, hey, you want to do a couple one-nighters? How much time you got? I said, oh, I got five minutes, 10 minutes. Well, you do an opening spot. We'll give you 50 bucks to do work at this ground round. We'll work over here at the top of the town. Jerry Cooney had a uh, had a club. Can you open up over here? Then you get a, uh, then you do the middle spot. And then before you know it, you're headlining. You know? I only middled for mm -hmm. a little while. I only middled for about four or five months because I had a, a real tragic thing happen in my life um, that actually I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, right. but um, I went from uh, basically an MC to a headliner because of um, because of a, 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 a light, uh, an inner uh, inner power that happened when my mother died. Um, oh. I was uh, I was working the comedy stop at the Trop in Atlantic City. Mm -hmm. It was uh, 1986. It was my birthday. It was October 19th. 
And um, my parents came to see me on the 18th. And it was my first real road gig when my parents acknowledged like, wow, he's working in Atlantic City. He's on the road. This is a real hotel, a real club yeah. at a hotel. And, and uh, you know, it was like Dolly Parton was doing the showroom and Sinatra was down the street. And, and it was like, wow, he's really got some. So it was 1986 and my parents came to see me. And uh, the Friday night I did a great show. I was just emceeing. And then there was mm -hmm. a ventriloquist in the middle. And then Adam Leslie was the headliner. So um, oh, wow. that was Friday. And then Saturday, they sleep over. And I, they gave me a nice condo. And my girlfriend was with me, who was, became my wife. And mm -hmm. beautiful condo. And uh, so the next day, we had breakfast. And we walked a boardwalk. And my, we had some ice cream. And then I put my parents in the car. And they left in the afternoon. So we went back to the room to get changed to go do the show. And I had a weird feeling. I just, I didn't know, I can't put my finger on it, but I had a weird feeling. I knew, I knew something was about to, the way the sun was setting and stuff. I just, I can't right. explain it. So um, we go to the club. I'm on stage doing my, my first 15 minutes, right? Or 10 minutes. And I had to do five in between. And um, I do my 10 minutes. I come backstage and um, Bob Kephart was the owner of the club. And my mother-in-law, my now mother-in-law had called the club and got the back phone and said, that my parents had been in a, a terrible car accident. One of them might have passed away. Oh and at that God. very moment, I hear the middle act say, that's my time. Let's bring back the MC Joey Cola. So now I jump on stage and I'm in shock. I'm like, my parents are in a car accident. I'm looking at the seats that they were sitting at the night in the night before. So I, I go on automatic pilot. I actually do two minutes of material of my mother waking me up in the morning to find out what time I had to get up. I wow. bring up Adam Leslie, I, and I jump off stage, go to the condo, pack all the stuff, jump in a car, ride back. And it was, she was in a hospital uh, in Amityville, um, and she was on a, a life support and a coma. And uh, my father had an epileptic seizure and wound up going off the road and crashing into a tree. And uh, oh, he was on the fourth floor. We couldn't tell him about the shape my mother was in because he would have died of a heart attack. And then uh, she actually waited till the next day, the 20th, which is the, the day after my birthday. And she passed away. And my brother and I and my whole family buried my mom. And we, uh, without my father, we had to tell him like two weeks later because he was uh, in, uh, in bad shape. So what happened was... All my friends, comedy friends and other friends rallied around me. And I gave up my star search audition. And my friend Steve-O, um, wow. I mentioned him a lot. He's a good buddy of mine, got my mm -hmm. audition and wound up getting the show. And I was in a deep depression. You know, when someone dies, people say to you, um, you know, what can I do to help you? So I said, well, I can't sleep. Can you get me some NyQuil? Well, I had 10 NyQuils under my bed. And I was just drinking them, drinking them, drinking them, sedating myself. Wow. And Steve saw yeah. that I was in bad shape. So he said, listen, you're... I'm getting you out of here. You're coming to LA with me and you're going to coach me on star search. And we wound up, I coached him. I stayed with him and we wound up beating Jackie Martling and Martin Lawrence. And, um, and he went to the semifinals. And then after that he lost and we wound up staying uh, in the, in Richard Jenny's apartment. Cause I knew him from Brooklyn and Long Island. He took me under his wing and, and John Maroney, him and John Maroney had an apartment together. Cause John Maroney was host that time um, on Fox of uh, comedy tonight. So they were big stars. So they let us stay with them. And uh, we went and did a show in the San Bernardino Valley. And I hadn't been on stage in like 30 days. And it was me, Jenny, Moroni, and, uh, and Steve-O. And uh, they said, we have a special friend in the audience. He's going to come up. It was a majority. It was mostly a black audience at a quality inn that had a showroom mm -hmm. in it in the San Bernardino Valley. 
And uh, I said, don't bring me up. Don't bring me up. And sure enough, they brought me up. I went on automatic pilot. I did five minutes. And I, I didn't kill, but I did okay. And I realized mm. I might have a life here because I didn't talk about my mother dying. I just did my act. And the audience right. didn't care. They didn't care about what I was talking about. Just say funny, say things that are going to make us laugh. They don't want to know about yeah. my personal life. And I did that. And then I came back. I called Richie Minavini. And he said, I'll, uh, if Jackie Mason's on stage on a Saturday night, I'll pull him off to put you up. And I'll give you as much stage time as you want. And I worked like an animal. And wow. that's why I, I only middled for like four months because I went from an MC to a headliner uh, all during that, during that time. And, um, uh, John, I'll tell you, there's an, uh, uh, some kind of a – some kind of an energy filled my spirit, filled my soul. And, um, cause I knew how much my mother supported me in this. And, uh, yeah. and I just yeah. wrote like crazy. I got that, that energetic anger behind me and I became, uh, I became, you know, Joey Cola. Holy shit, Ben. That is the craziest origin story for a comic. I think I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And it was when when they when they all got you back on stage, you're on stage the first time again after 30 days to go and do it. Did you feel like you yourself like you said you went on automatic pilot, but did it help you kind of cope with what was going on and give you a trajectory after that? Yeah, because at that point there was there was so many great Long Island comedians. I mean, you know, the Magnificent Seven was there: Nelson Bartlett, uh, Jim Myers, Farentino, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Hawthorne, Minavini. Uh, you know, th there was those guys and then the, then the Mulroney and Rich Jenny and, and Bobby Collins and, you know, Glenn Farrington. And there was just so many people that were right. uh, that were rallying around you. Hiram Caston and Glenn G Gabe Abelson. And I mean, I could rattle I could rattle off a million comics. And then when you went to the city, there was Adrian Tulch and Bill Sheft and just so many mm -hmm. comics that knew what happened to me and rallied around me. And they helped me write. We had writing sessions and they gave me stage time. Again, it was at a time when there was an available, there was a stage every night of the week. And I did get up every night of the week, sometimes twice, you know, drive from place to place and then go to the city and do late night sets. I mean, wow. I would actually bring my car. I had an old Toyota Corolla. I'd bring my car to stand up New York and leave the keys in it. And, you know, if I was with Ray Romano or Eddie Brill or Leary or Mario Cantone or whoever, whoever, not that I want to name drop, but these no, are, yeah, go. I'd, I'd leave the keys in the car and people would take my car. And I'd say, as long as it's in front of catch by two o'clock in the morning, that's fine. Or in front of Dangerfields at four o'clock in the morning, just go. It was a beat up old car. Holy I really shit. didn't care about it. So, you know, people used my car to bang around the city. So, you know, so um, wow. it was a nurturing thing. And I, and I still... I still keep very, very, very close to a lot of my comedic friends because I can, I mean, as you guys know, you can have conversations with comedians that you can't have with oh, yeah. family and non-coms, you might say. By the way, yeah. I got my Bell's palsy is still going. I'm 50% healed. You know, the two hardest words to say when you got Bell's palsy are Bell's palsy. So <laughs> you can't say anything with F. So I would right. got it. This is the second time I got it. Two years ago, I got it. And I waited three months and I went on the road. I went to South Carolina and it was hot. So I had to go to CVS and get flip flops. So I walk in and I go, where's your flip flops? This girl's like, what y'all saying? I go, I need some fucking flip flops, you fucking idiot. I got Bell's palsy. I got Bell's palsy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, it's ba- I, I, you know, it's it's uh, it's healing. It's barely noticeable. I talked to you what a few months ago, and you were fine. Yeah. You seem yeah. you seem good Coming now. Back. The neurologist said yeah. about fifty percent yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, you're killing but, it. By the you're way, see doing... that thing over my shoulder here? See where am I? This side. This side. See that this thing? Side, yeah, there? that. You know mm-hmm. what that is? Right no. there. That is, is the it? Guinness Book of World Records for fist bumps. Get the fuck out of here. Watch this. <laughs> Guinness oh Book of World Records. Oh my record. god. That yeah, is incredible. How did you, you even get, how did you get the getting in the Guinness Book of World Records for fist bumps? Guinness Book of, Well, we did it on the Rachel Ray show. It was 120 in uh, 1 minute and I got 123. That's officially right. That's incredible. See that? Wow. Guinness yeah. Book of World Records right there. See that? Boom. Yeah, I got Fucking a couple of awesome. things. I'll show you. I got an Emmy Award. This is the Emmy Award Rosie gave me on the last Rosie O'Donnell oh. show. Holy me, shit, yeah, She dude. gave that to me, and uh, I got a bunch of Emmy Awards. But as a warm-up guy, you just get a plaque, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she gave you an yeah. – she she was so – I mean, you guys were, were like, what, like best friends, like buddies on the comedy scene when you guys started? Uh, well, we we saw each other in the clubs a lot, you know? And then right. she, she became a big star because she was very funny. She was with the Long Island Laughter Company with Bob Nelson and Vinnie Mark, and uh, Peter Bales was the director of that thing. They did improv, and she was always a great actor and a great act, you know? She was a great – Yeah. Comic. She, and, uh, but I, I saw a video. I don't. Even, I don't know that you posted it. I don't think you posted it because I think I googled. I've googled you a bunch uh, just to not to get weird. Okay. Uh, but but, um, yeah. but I've got. Uh, um, there was a, a VH1 spec. A, a VH1 yeah, Rosie show. That she did. VH1 stand up spotlight. Yeah. And she introduced you on that, right? Was that yeah, your yeah, first I TV? That. I did that four times that show. Yeah. Oh wow. Was that your yeah. first TV appearance? Uh, I don't think that was my first TV appearance. No, it was like one of these. Uh, Maybe evening. I did four evening at the Improvs, MTV half hour comedy hour. Where I actually, wow. did, uh, I used to do this painter bit in my act. Um, mm-hmm. You know Bob Ross, and he used to flip out and have a nom flashback. Um, <laughs> actually, Bob Ross saw the bit and he liked it, and I, he actually sent me a letter. And I got a he wrote a handwritten letter, and I got uh, a paint kit in the mail, and I had that too. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. I've been lucky. I've been really, really blessed and lucky, man. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't ask for anything else. I just want to pay my bills. I don't have um insatiable number. I just want to pay my bills. I raise butterflies. I make people laugh. I feed birds. The butterfly thing is so fascinating to me. I, I that you that's that's incredible. You you use them and then you set them free every year. Is that what happens? Well, well, no. Yeah, what happens is I plant parsley. Okay. Uh, you know, each each butterfly has its own host plant. So okay. you pick a species, you know, native to where you live. And uh, with me, it's the monarch and mm-hmm. the uh, the black swallowtail. Now, the black swallowtail, they, their host plant is fennel or parsley. So so you plant that, and when it gets warm enough, you'll see them You'll see them come from wherever they come from. Right. They lay 50 to 100 eggs on the parsley. Once the wow. eggs hatch, the caterpillars, the little baby caterpillars, uh, start eating all the parsley. Then they get big. <laughs> And they get bright green, and then they they know when they've gotten big enough, and then they'll mm. go find a branch or a pot top of a thing or whatever it's in, and, and they'll cocoon. They'll stay mm. like that for seven to ten days, hatch, and then I release them. So I got all my parsley inside this hutch, mm-hmm. so because because um they'll the, the cardinals will eat them, 
because that's like because they're not poisonous whereas the monarch i plant milkweed and that's poisonous so the birds okay. know not to eat the monarch caterpillar because they'll die oh, oh wow they i've never you know black swallowtails i also planted a black I, cherry I, for the yellow tiger swallowtails tell me if you think this is true i feel like comedians have the most interesting side hobbies because it's literally yeah. anything yeah. to keep anything anything besides watching or or doing anything comedically like Comedy is like for the nighttime and the uh, couple hours we're on stage with our buddies, and then everything else yeah. is like, yeah. Well, look at Joe the Star. Fact that you raised them. Joe Star is a, he's a great artist. He's a writer. Uh, yeah, good drinker and good uh, drink. Uh, he, uh, yeah, yeah. He's one of our good buddies. You and I and uh, yeah. And you know, I had my first drink with Joe Star. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. I was 21. He invited me up to this is gonna sounds like a sketchy story, but it's not. He had me he had me come <laughs> up with he had me come up to AC with um him and Chris Monte were doing uh Borgata. Yeah. And yeah. I just didn't I didn't really part I didn't really drink. Oh, were they know, with, the, with Max Alexander at the time? No, they weren't. No, I wish they oh. were. I never got to Max and I were Facebook friends. I never got to meet him. Right. And he would always send me the phone. Funniest, weird birthday me greetings. It always made me laugh when it was whenever because we would just say happy birthday. But we never met each other. Right, right. Um, but uh, but no, he was with some guy who who opened up. I'll never forget this. I don't know who he is, but his oh, he opened up by singing "What's Going On" by um, Four Non Blondes. Do you know that guy? It doesn't sound familiar to me. No, I I can't remember his name. Joe Joe Star would remember his name, but I, yeah, he he um. They were Monty MC, Joe Middled at the time, and uh, this guy said, "What's going on?" When he got on stage, it was right. the weirdest fucking thing. Yeah, I was he like, "To the B bar and drank a little bit, I guess." <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, and then and then yeah, and then I was with them, and I was like, "Oh, like," and they were like, "Oh, what do you drink?" And I was like, "I don't know. I don't. I don't really. I don't know have anything to drink." And he was like, and he got me a drink. He got me like a really classy thing or whatever. Yeah. I don't remember what it was at the time, but yeah, yeah that was my Jack, Jack Daniels on the rocks. Yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, because when I got to there, that was another thing too. I got to their uh, hotel room and they had jazz playing, and uh, and a bottle of it had to be brandy or something like that. Yeah, but it was school. in a nice. Yeah. Yeah, old blew school. me away. It's there's no better people to be in Atlantic City with than than Chris Monty and Joe Starr. Monty yeah. and I just did a gig together last week, and uh, it was so funny. We did a winery. Uh, there he is. Nice. We worked together last week, and uh, and then he came to see me at Governor's again Saturday. But we did a big winery, and um, it was the first time I had done fifty minutes straight five zero in a year, you know. And I was—I yeah. gotta be honest with you—I'm doing this forty-one years, and I was a little bit nervous, man. I had my act in my pocket, and I had a whole wow. of, uh, about seven pages of new stuff. And um, I said to hell with it, you know, why I got rid of my nerves and I let anger take over, you know, I let my anger yep. be behind, you know, to keep it fresh. I, I found the anger that wrote the bit initially, nice. you know, and then I yep. did some new stuff too. I did a new bit about um, how my wife and I, how I negotiate for sex with my wife, like Michael Corleone and Hyman Roth, you know, <laughs> from the Godfather. I walk yeah. in like Hyman Roth and I go, if you're naked in the bed, I'll know I have a partner. <laughs> if you're not, then I'll know I'm masturbating. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great fucking I, bit. I wrote this bit about something that true that happened last week. You ever, you ever like be in the house with a, your family or a bunch of people, and like you drop something heavy, and yeah. everybody's like, everybody's like, "Are you okay? Is that all right? What happened? What was that?" 
I'm at the point in my life now with my family where no one cares at all. Like I had, <laughs> I had two 10 pound weights and I dropped them in a dining room. Glasses shook. The brake front almost fell down. And, and it was like no one. And I knew they were in within, within earshot. Mm-hmm. But no one said, are you all right? What happened? What was that? Nothing. And about five minutes later, I could have sworn I heard, you think he's still breathing? <laughs> oh my god great so that's what i that's what we all have to look forward to exactly. uh, oh man so you I, I can't imagine so you don't uh, like I, a lot of comics that i've talked to they all say the same thing that that feeling of like momentary uh flight or fight you know is still in you when you go on stage does that ever go away because you just said after whatever you still had a little bit of whatever and you abandoned it we were high. Right, we, when we did that show last week, the drive back, we were high for about an hour. Wow. I, I, the only way you could tell anybody to explain it is it's like a thousand times heroin. I've never done heroin, but it's got to be a thousand times what the yeah. elation from heroin would be. You know, I, I mean, it's such a high wait. when you kill and you make people laugh and it's and it, it comes right back at you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the uh, I did it. I did the. Um, asbury aid band-aid fest uh or it wasn't a fest it was an event as called called asbury band-aid and it was at right. um uh asbury park at the stone pony and right. it was the fir- it's the first time i'd been back on any stage in a year and a half and my only job was to go out and do do like a couple minutes of material right and um and get them to raise more money right we raised like 50k yeah. for jersey shore artists nice and it was the weirdest lineup ever it was me the governor of new jersey a senator you know what i mean oh, like yeah the only time i ever thought i'd see my name in between the governor and the senator is if i was being arrested for something <laughs> terrible you know so i was just like but i but the, but the crazy thing is, is that there was there was <laughs> there was no audience there um and but there was still the crew who was filming it for tv you know whatever Oh, you froze and up. They, but I, my material for the thing, I was getting... Oh, I froze? Yeah. I got you. Am I, back? I got you now. I got you now. Okay. So what I was... So, like, it was the craziest thing because I hadn't been on stage in a year and a half, but I did, like, a couple minutes of material for the, you know, for the show, and the crew was laughing. And in my brain, I was like, don't get off. But I had the... You know, I could only... <laughs> The yeah. rest of the show. I had to introduce the next band, so I would. Yeah. But I'm I'm having a good time and I'm getting laughs, so I just keep going. I'm riffing and I I can't wait to do a full show. I'm finally fully vaccinated. Um, yeah, me so, too. Um, it's great, man. Yeah, and I want to do sh- like another thing coming out of this too, man. Is like I missed every like uh, everything you were talking about, where you, there's shit you can't say to anybody else except for other comedians. Yeah. it was an it was horrible not like as soon as we, we did that charity event and everybody was kind of together and talking and bullshitting that was exactly what i needed because i was like being hostile towards regular people <laughs> like you know what i mean we don't I have that totally outlet understand. i totally yeah. understand and i mean i i mean i hate to sound uh i hate to sound uh, pompous in a way or whatever it's the perfect uh, show to do it on let's go yeah uh, but <laughs> But when you're with other comics, when you're in a green room, and let's say, let's say there's six, seven comics you respect. Yeah. Because they've, they've made you laugh. You know their level of clever. Yes. You know where they're coming from, whether they're right-wing, left-wing, or whatever. You, there could be Democrats, Republicans in that green room. Mm-hmm. There's still a general respect. Yeah. Um, I'm with people that also figured out how to make a room of people laugh. Mm-hmm. Everybody does it in a different way. So yeah. you could run bits by, you could have an, a, a conversation on a different level by because mm-hmm. 
guard is down, guard is down, yet you could say things that are going to get right through to the bone where mm. you couldn't do it to a non-com. Yeah, my God. And it's like, but that, that was the craziest thing during the pandemic because it was being around, like, I, I would I would talk to my friends virtually or whatever, but I just wasn't, I didn't have that comedy outlet. Yeah. And then a, a couple of times I remember them being like, are you okay? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not... I, I have nobody else to talk to or say this shit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And you know what's crazy too is I you were right about like the whole like the Democrat, Republican or whatever it is when you're in a room full of people because if you're comics, you're co I always describe it as uh, remember the old Warner Brothers cartoon where it was the coyote and the sheepdog? Yeah. And they would yeah. clock it. That's comedians. You yeah, can they, argue yeah. with that same person. And you could. How you doing, man? You know, I mean, yeah. clock in, clock out. Oh, I'm a big Warner Brothers guy. <laughs> Me too. To me, Bugs Bunny is is the ultimate, ultimate. Yes. I, mean, I don't have any tattoos, but the first mm -hmm. one I'm going to get, because as soon as I get off these blood thinners, I'm going to get a tattoo of uh, Bugs Bunny on my calf. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great, man. Yeah. Let me. I'll draw it. Let me draw there it for you. you. Hey, all yeah. right. Ooh, cool. That's fantastic, man. Well, yeah, I, he, I was it, telling Tom before we started, there were some moments in my career that I you know, that I, I, you gotta, I gotta, I had to pinch myself to, to really, and I got, I'm just looking at this picture here as I'm talking to you of me and George Carlin. He came to see me at the Riviera oh. comedy club in, um, in, uh, in Las Vegas. That's fantastic. Wow. His eyes are partially closed, but yeah, no, no, but that, that's, that is, that is incredible. The fact that you even got, I mean, how, how did that friendship start? Well, he called my manager. My manager was Jeff Sussman at the time. He manages Joe Rogan and Kevin James. Mm -hmm. And I still got the I still got the tape somewhere. Um, I played it on Jim Brewer's final show. Uh, actually, one of Jim Brewer's final shows. When the day Carlin died, I played it on his on Jim Brewer's serious satellite um, show. Right. It was a uh, a message to Jeff Sussman on his machine. Hey, hey, Jeff, this is George Carlin. Just want to let you know that I saw Joey on a television show and I heard you manage him. And I really like his stuff. I really think he's funny. If you can have him give me a call, my number is blah, 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 blah. I live at Old Oak Road in L.A. If wow. he wants to come and see me, I'd love to I'd love to start a friendship with him. Thanks. Click. Wow. I got that tape somewhere. And um, sure enough, I called him and we hit it off. We We really hit it off. We had a. He came to New York. We had a sandwich and a beer, and and then he um was he came to to uh, do shows in Vegas, and he came to that show. He called me in the afternoon. Do you mind if I come to the show? I said, sure. We held a booth in the back, and he snuck in. He watched my stuff. Then we got back. He sent me all his tapes, and he wanted me to kind of critique him and look at him. And we did. We did. We went over it bit for bit. And wow. then um, I never want to say that I wrote for him or with him, but mm. we had conversations that um. I think some of our the conversations we had influenced uh, greatly some of the things that wound up in a couple of his specials, namely the bit where he prays to George uh, Joe Pesci. You ever hear of him do that? Yes, bit? I love. Yeah. yeah. So we That's had a conversation. Where I used to do Joe Pesci. Hey, making making ambrosia. You crack those fucking eggs into the fucking bowl. You mash the fucking thing, and you fucking. So you put some marshmallows in there, couple <laughs> things, nuts, they're optional. And you mash that you know. So Joe Pesci doing a cooking show. So he liked when I did that. So we talked about Joe Pesci. And then we started talking about God, because I believe in the teachings of Christ mm -hmm. uh, in that way. Not not religion per se, but the teachings of Christ. Right. And, and we started talking about that. And he and we got on the fact that he 
he'd like to pray to Joe Pesci. Is that, that Joe Pesci is that strong a personality? So um, <laughs> we had that conversation, and um, and then shortly after that, his uh, that 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 bit came out, and it, right. it progressed. You know, obviously he wrote more on it and it progressed. Yeah, but um, we, we had a, a nice relationship for for a while, and then he um, and then. He got a little too too dark at you know I had little kids and stuff and he got a little uh, dark at some points and I, I said to him George I, I can't go there all the way with you because my my head's not there I mean when two comics are are here and they're writing it's perfect but if one guy yeah. here and the other guy's here uh, you really can't uh, you I know can't what you mean go there with somebody if they're going to be a certain amount of dark or a mm -hmm. certain amount of light or you know, you kind of got to be on the same train of thought. You yeah. Know, like, like uh, when I'll be with some comics and I'll go, what do you think about this, this bit or this premise? And they'll, they'll say stuff and I'll go, yeah, that's not funny. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? I mean, they'll think that's hysterical, but I'll go, eh, I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. But I got to meet yeah, Rodney a, a few times. I got to work. Well, that's, and, I want to talk to you about Rodney, but it was interesting that you said, you know, you know about the writing. There's a, yeah, there's you and Rodney. Um, what real, real, real quick before we go to Rodney, because I, you touched on an interesting point. I like that. Um, I think it's kind of invaluable and not enough people talk about it is not necessarily maybe writing or writing with somebody else like verbatim, but having those conversations that a lot of us do, they do kind of branch off and spark material and new ideas. And like, yeah. there's a, there's this kind of like collaborative energy that all of us kind of have. And yeah. I, I think it's like, I feel like I feel like a lot of the Long Island guys have that, like you and Star well, we, and all those well, we guys. Used do, we used to do um, at the East Side Comedy Club back in the day. Like ten of us would get together during the afternoon at the East Side Comedy Club. Richie would open the doors, mm -hmm. and we'd go in there and we'd all write. We'd sit around a table, and each right. of us would bring about ten premises. Right. So I'd sit there. I'd sit. Uh, let's let's say I'm sitting there, right? And I go, okay, uh, lemons. I need to write something about lemons. So the, mm -hmm. the guy next to me would say, uh, this is a joke about lemons. And the next person, that joke, they'd all just spit lemon jokes at me. Then we right. go to the next person. They'd say, uh, I got I got bit by a coyote. And then we'd all spit <laughs> jokes about a coyote. And we'd go around the table about 10 times in the afternoon. Then we'd break up and go have dinner. We'd walk across the street to Burger King or we'd, we'd go to um, there's a steak place next door. We'd have dinner, come back to the club. And we knew each other's act so well that we only had to do the new stuff that we wrote that day. Wow. And if, if a comic was on stage and they reverted back to their original act that they knew was going to kill, other comics in the room would stop them and call them out on it. Holy Say, no, you didn't shit. write that today. You didn't write that today. In front of That's... a full house on a Monday or a Tuesday at Eastside. And that wow. had 200 people, 25 people. Yeah. So that's how we you had to do the new stuff because yeah. you had eight other comics in the back of the room that if, if you didn't if you did your act, they were gonna call you out on it. And if oh two of them God. didn't know your act, the other six did. We knew each other's acts so well. I still know the acts of a lot of people that I started out with. I mean wow. the stuff that sticks out, you know, and the yeah, comedians yeah. that stick out. Yeah, there's and always that's how you jokes. become memorable. You become memorable because you know you yeah. do bits that people remember that bit. Like mm. they'll, they'll go, Joey, do mm -hmm. the cat noise, or do your your grandfather laughing, or do that's how that's your hook. That's a, you got to be known for those bits. If you don't have yeah. those bits that people remember, then you're not going to get remembered. Right. Yeah, the dog bit is always one of my favorite bits that you do. I just love. I mean, that's white dog it's, shit, yeah. 
fucking hysterical. Yeah, just well, the whole true. thing. And it's acting true. it out. And That's it's... why I like it, too, because I could see you actually doing that. All of well, it. Well, it's every day. Today I did it. Today. And, and I hate it. I, 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 I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> I hate it. I got, I, I'm in the office right now. Where mm-hmm. my, my daughter, I got wee-wee pads right next to me because she's got two flowers <laughs> that go on the wee-wee pads. So I, right. and we've had dogs since I was a kid. So I'm going to be, I'm 59, I'm going to be 60. I've been cleaning up dog shit my whole life. And I hate it. It makes me so I can hear the, see, this is what we were talking about before, where you were saying that under, under like you're one of the nicest guys in show business and comedy, but under underlining your act is just sheer anger, frustration. Yeah. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's it's beautiful, you know. When I when I used to run into the brokerage, um, I still do it every once in a while. When, when it comes back, I'm going to be doing it a lot. But I'm known for you know calling up on a Thursday night, go, I'm coming in, I, something just happened, you know, and I'll run on stage, <laughs> and I'll, and uh, like when Mark Lund used to be there, he used to see me running and just start laughing at the fact that I ran in and I'm so angry, I couldn't even speak, and then he go. He, <laughs> He hand a note to the MC, bring him up. I get on stage and, and I, I I did a bit one night. I did a rant about how my wife thinks. My wife thinks a self cleaning oven isn't doesn't clean itself. It, you turned it up to like a million degrees. Everything burns to a crisp, and then those mm-hmm. charred pieces fall to the bottom. You've got <laughs> it cools off. You've got to vacuum out or take out those charred chunks. <laughs> Nobody, it doesn't go, they don't just go away. Right. That's, a self-cleaning oven doesn't, it just, it just chars it all. She told oh my God. Cleaning oven where once you do that, you don't have to clean anything. <laughs> There's not a little guy in there with a broom that's shoveling right. the charred bits. A self-cleaning oven means you turn it up to 500, everything gets charred. And those little black things, the pieces of char are on the bottom. You got to clean that. So <laughs> we argued to the hilt. And I said, you know what? I'm going to the club. I'll see you later. I went on stage. I did 10 minutes on the self-cleaning ovens. Oh, my God. That's fucking hysterical. That's where it comes from, man. It's where it all comes from. The dog shit bit. The mother waking me up in the morning yeah. to find out what time I had to get up in the morning. My kids crying like they're shifting gears. <laughs> that happened. My cat with the hairball. Right next to my head in the bed. So my cat will go yo, 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 right next to your head. And you got a hairball lay right next yeah. to your pillow. It's disgusting. <laughs> you're one of the you're one of the best comics I've seen that Im- implements uh, sound effects in their act. But that no one, w- everybody knows them, but no one would think to do. Every well, everything that you do, everyone's like, "Oh my god, my fucking cat does make that noise." But no one would think to do it, and you somehow brought that all together because it's. If I, I, I I've never seen anybody else do that. Thanks, man. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, uh, I learned that uh, that when you're a performer, every you got to use every tool in your arsenal, man. Yeah. And your hands, you know, I, I studied with Joanna Bexson. Uh, oh, I studied yeah, acting. Me too. Me too. 
and uh, and everything. She's great, isn't she? And yeah, she's, she's the best. Uh, she you use your hands. You know, you use your hands. Your, your head. You, you use your you, know, you use your words. Your facial expressions. Mm -hmm. You use every tool in your arsenal. And when Carlin came to see me in Vegas, and then we went to go see him, and I actually saw him walk two hundred people. Uh, me and this comic Pete Voros that same weekend. He invited us over to the Jubilee at Bally. Right. So we'll see him, and Carlin. Uh, had a note for me. He watched my act and he said to me, why? He said, most of your punchlines you take straight out to the audience, but you did a couple where we saw you thinking, but you did the punchline to the side, like to the side. Yeah. Why, why, why don't you take your punchline straight out to the audience? Like take them straight out, you know, yeah. like when you're, you know, like stay, you know, boom, you know, like yeah. boom, right there. So I said, I don't know why, but I'm going to show And he gave me that note. So hmm. that came back. I'll tell you how that came full circle. I'm doing a, the, um, the, 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 something, the Crescent Beach Club on the North Shore of Long Island. Um, me, Chris Roach, and Tommy Gooch were doing a charity, uh, just a charity gig for Tom and Jigno. And, um, and downstairs, Jessica Curson is coaching Robert De Niro doing oh, the shit. movie The Comedian. Right. So he must have had a break in shooting, and Jessica comes upstairs, and she mm. sees me. And I'm like, Jess, Joey, hey. She goes, you're not working here, are you? I said, yeah, I'm about to go on in a while. He, she goes, holy shit, I'm bringing De Niro up to see you. Oh, wow. So I was like, what? She goes, De Niro's downstairs shooting a movie. I'm bringing him up to see you. So Gooch goes on, Roach goes on. Sure enough, the whole the director and the whole like, 20 people come up. Ladies and gentlemen, Joey Cola, and they they watch my. I'm doing an hour, so they watch the first 20 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. Then they all leave for the next 20 minutes, and the last 20 minutes, De Niro came up and stood in the back of his of the room by himself. Oh my god! So so um, I come off stage and I run right to the back of the room. Now they're all the audience is all looking at the stage. They don't see he's in the back of the room. So mm -hmm. I make a beeline behind the raffle baskets where he's standing, right? And I said, wow, Mr. De Niro, it's an honor to meet you. And thank you for watching my show. He goes, he goes, man, you, I love your energy. I love this. He goes, well, tell me one thing. He goes, oh, uh, your body language is very uh, important to when you take a punchline. You know, you, you do your punchline straight out and you tend to keep your hands up, up by your head to make a point and you bend your knees and then you, you almost lunge forward in delivering that punchline. I said, so I said, honestly, George Carlin told me to, to, to take it straight out, but Holy I added shit. bending my knees and, and using my arms and to use every tool in the arsenal again right. to drive that point home, to drive that joke home, to drive that punchline home, whether it be a word or a line, to drive it home. And that's part of the art of what we do to break it up. Uh, and if you want to break it up into a formula, you know, if you want to look at my act in a formula, it's set up. Punch, punch, tag, tag. I'll try to tag it twice before mm -hmm. I do another setup again. You know, so I'll, wow. I'll set it up, and I'll, sometimes I'll do, I'll do try to get three punch lines out of it, and then try to tag it at least twice. And Richard Jenny taught me how to do that. He said a bit. You know, he used to tell me a bit is never finished. A bit yeah. is never finished. You can always tag the shit out of it. So if you watch Seinfeld work, there's a real mechanic, and he's got every note that he's ever written. And I do the yeah. same thing. I got it all. I got it all on yellow, you know, legal pads and just pages and pages of stuff. I'm sitting next to you as I'm talking to you now. I'm sitting next to three notebooks full of stuff from 
from pandemic stuff that I have to do. Yep. I know what you I mean, mean, man. I still do the thing where I like, I'll have notebooks in front of me, but if I have a napkin, I still write shit down on the napkin yeah. or a torn piece of paper here or whatever. And then eventually it all, I mean, I use my phone a lot for notes, but it all yeah. just kind of comes together at some point. Yeah. I always That's, keep a little, little pad in my back, my back pocket and two pens and a, and a marker, you know, yep. I always keep that stuff. But there's also, you know, on that same note, I always do my old stuff too. And a lot of people say, Oh, Joey Cola hasn't changed his act. He always does that cat noise. He always does this, always does that. Yeah. Because you know what? Guess what? I'm not famous enough to where people memorize my whole act. A, right. B, most audiences don't care. They want to see the same thing. And when they bring, when two people bring another 10 people to see you, yeah. If you don't do the bit that they, you did when they saw you the first time, they're like, well, why didn't you do the mother, the girls, the mother waking you up or this thing or that bit? Yeah. Why didn't you do that? They, they said. Yep. So I'm trying some new stuff. Well, we like the old stuff. Keep doing that. Right. So it's got to yeah, be and mixed. If you go to see Pink Floyd and you don't do Comfortably Numb, you know, James Taylor is <laughs> fire and rain, you get pissed. Yeah. Exactly. But that's the thing, though, too. You have bits that are are different than just, um, you know, there's comics that'll talk about, you know, social stuff or their lives or whatever, yada, yada, yada. But you have bits that are uniquely yours. So when people come to see you, they want to hear that chunk or that piece of your life that they are telling their friends about because they can't do the joke well. <laughs> so, well, you know, comes, they tell half my, of it. It comes through my filter. Yeah, um, you know, I, I've had a lot of bits stolen from me. Um, I'm not going to mention any comics that are working right now. And do but, it. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, okay. but, uh, <laughs> like the devil. But the thing is, you know, I've had a lot of bits stolen from me, and and um and I and I, I, I a lot of people have written for me, and I've done those bits. But here's mm -hmm. the thing: if you're a comic worth your salt, you should be able to follow somebody who does your act word for word. And if you're, but you should be able to follow your own act with the personality and the, and yeah. what you bring to it, your filter, you know, you should be able to just bring that, bring what you bring in the moment to it, you know, and a lot of it comes, John, from taking the time to daydream, taking the time to, I mean, people use the word meditate now, but taking mm -hmm. the time to settle into a comfort zone of a daydream, a sunset, a staring into whatever for me it's like saying a prayer and then and then listening to a song or you know mm -hmm. you've got to you've got to bring yourself self to that place where it's like a big soft pillow and then you can create yeah it doesn't That's always beautiful. have to be <clears throat> in a state of calm like right. a lot of my bits come from when i'm in the shower i'm mowing the lawn like i'll be mowing the lawn and you know the motor's going, and I'm mad at that, mad at that, mad at, mm -hmm. you know. And, and a lot of a lot of stuff comes to me that way, you mm -hmm. know. So you got to find that thing that gets you in that zen where your mind mm -hmm. is not you. You know, like in acting, you're always doing a task, especially Joanna Bexson. Yeah, you're always doing something, but you were saying the words on the page, living within the moment as if, right? Mm -hmm. So, so whatever action you're in. Now, instead of saying the words on the page uh, like an actor would, just take your mind and delve into things that A, make you mad, B, you're passionate about, something that's on your mind, and then try to find the, boom, the right hook that's going to, uh, you know, make it funny. Yeah. 
And that's um, for me, it's biking. I mean, when I, when I bike, I, I like to go out every day, do like 15 miles or whatever, but as um, I'm doing it, for some reason I get into a place and a zone or whatever. Yeah. Ever where I'll actually have to like either hit a, hit a, thank God for technology too. You hit a button. You, I just talk my notes into my phone or whatever, but it's yeah. so funny how like when I'm biking, I used to think that all the time, like, why is this coming to me now? But I realized what you just said, it's because I'm relaxed. I'm kind of, you know, in a in a good yeah, and place. Yeah, your body's moving. Your your hands are busy. Your legs are busy. Your mm -hmm. your body's moving. So there's those endorphins are going through your body to feed the mm -hmm. muscles, but it's also feeding your brain. You know, you, you yeah. can't create unless this thing is going. And I hate to say right. it, but a lot of times, I mean, with me in particular, it's uh, the adrenaline that comes from anger. Uh, you know, uh, the anger. And that's why my eight by 10 is like this, because I want to, I'm like, I want to shake people and go, wow, yeah. what's wrong with you? That's my eight by 10 that, you know, yeah. like that. Cause I just want to say, what is wrong with you? Listen to me. And, and most of my material, I don't get political. I just, I mean, you know, I have some opinions about things and you know, where we, we've had conversations sure. about that. Yeah. Uh, it's basically autobiographical about, the, my little world, my, my 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 wife, my kids, the pets, the house, the thing, the, you know, um, all the little things I have to do to get from A to B and then pay my bills and then just wake up the next day, you know. And then yeah. also you go, you got to enjoy the little bit of beauty and like, like what's greater than the first sip of coffee in the morning or a nice bacon oh, yeah. and eggs sandwich? Is it there, you know, there's a just, George, there's a George Burns quote that basically I can't remember what it is verbatim now, but I think about it all the time where he's talking about enjoying the like you know just saying or like just taking a minute to say um you always tom yeah i agree hey, yeah. i agree with tom i used to say i used to say what's the great all men wanted a life is eat sleep shit and have sex that's it yep get into one of those four categories but you yeah. were saying george burns what did he say George Burns had said something along the lines of like, you, you should take those moments to say that just stop for a second and go, I love this cup of coffee or this isn't, this isn't a chore, whatever it is. And I, and I completely agree. It's, um, it's one of those things that I try to keep in the back of my head is just to like, if I'm enjoying whatever I'm eating, I'm going to fucking say it out loud and take yeah. a moment. No, this yeah. is a good. Or there's a great conversation or a great day or whatever the right. fuck it is. Right. Well, you know, like I said before, we're only here for a half hour and I believe in the teachings of Christ and not that I want to push any religion or anything on anybody. It's mm -hmm. not up to me. It's up to him to do that. Not yeah. But, um, but I could just, all I could share is what I learned and what gets me by. And, and one of the quotes that, uh, that I live by is when he said that, uh, he who does for the least of my brethren, he does it for me. So when you help somebody, um, you know, you, you, you do it for the love of God. You do it to uh, give over and maybe be, have his grace bestowed on you. And I've been living my life that way as, as much as I can. And, and it's come back to me a, a million fold. So that's the way I continue to, to go to, to live. And hopefully it comes back to me in that way. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be angry at things. Oh yeah. Um, but you have manageable anger. You know what I mean? Like, you're not like, I can't imagine you going off. Uh, well, I want to hit somebody in the head with a bat last week. <laughs> but for an Italian, that's manageable anger. <laughs> yeah. One of, my, one of my daughter's boyfriends. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. that's, well, I get it. So, I get it. Not, and I, I'm going to, you know, I won't, I'm not going to talk too much, but, you know, no, so, man. 
and I'll and some relatives, you know, that, uh, you know, there's, there's, I have a non sequitur in my act where I'll just go off and in the middle of my act and I go, and my brother-in-law is a fucking asshole. <laughs> and and, and of nowhere, I said that's got nothing to do with my act. I just want you people to know my brother-in-law is a fucking asshole. Right. So, and that's, <laughs> that's what beautiful. That yeah, and that that's a true that that came from a real deep down anger of so, something that happened, you know. So I got another quote for you. This is one of my favorite Kurt Vonnegut quotes. I love Kurt Vonnegut. I wish I'd gotten to meet him before he passed away. I think about him all the time. Uh -huh. Um, but he had a quote that said, uh, "And I urge you to please notice when you are happy." and exclaim or murmur or think at some point, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. Oh, that's beautiful. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, take the time to that's smell you. the roses. That's it, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Live in the moment and live in the second. And that's why I, I, I plant roses. My lilacs are, are, are blooming right now, uh, which is actually a plant from my mother. My mother grew that plant, and she she had a branch that she grew. It grew into a tree. My brother and I split it. My brother has uh, one part of the plant, and I have the other one, and it's blooming now. And I, yeah, my mother passed away in '86, and I have a rose bush of hers and a lilac tree that bloom every year, and I get to smell those roses and smell those lilacs. Beautiful, man. That's it, and that's that's what it's all about. Nobody. Yeah. It's not about uh, video games and uh, trying to make more money than this and more money than that, and Bang this yeah. one, bang that one, and you know, trying to—it's—it's just—it's—it's it's so simple, man. It really is. It is so simple. And I get, you know, I mean, I feel like everybody does get fr like I get frustrated by certain things at sometimes, and I and I have to take a minute or take stock of you know either you know things I have ac accomplished or just you know that everything's okay. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. I'm eating, I got a good you know family, and then friends that are de you know are, are good or whatever and decent and stuff and it, it tastes take see look at this there's a beautiful <laughs> picture right there look that at that was, oh look at you i know um, you got a lot longer hair now there's melvin I, that's I, see, melvin I george is one of my good buddies boy he's, he's another the best great, he, he actually beat me on star search and because a couple of years after that i got i got chosen to do star search i went to the semifinals and melvin right. beat me on the show yeah he's one of my good melvin buddies so this is this is the craziest shit, right? I gotta tell you because I want to talk about Rodney a little bit too, if you don't mind. But um, okay. So so but the the last time we talked, we did uh we did a charity thing together for that guy in the army for Mark Riccadonna's buddy, right? Okay. Yep. Yep. And you were on. It was you, Melvin, and Rob Bartlett, and you guys yep. were all talking about Star Search. Yeah. And you know you'd mentioned that Melvin beat you, and and yeah, yada, and Melvin felt bad. So cut to. Late, oh, we were we were talking about who we couldn't figure out who won in 1991. Okay, and I'd said Felicia. I thought Felicia Michaels won, right? Okay, but yeah. everybody was trying to figure out for some reason. We refused to look on our phones at the time. So, cut to later that evening. I'm interviewing uh, Mark Brazil on the show. Do you know Mark? The name sounds familiar. How do I know that name? So he's a creator of that 70s show. Okay, and okay. he was a stand. He's a comic. He's a stand-up comedian, and um. Okay. You know, and he was on Star Search too, and he got beaten by Larry Wilmore, and oh. so he's telling me this story about Star Search, and I go, "Oh, dude, that's so weird." I said, "We were just talking about Star Shirts. We couldn't figure out, you know, who won in 1991 or whatever." And he's like, "Oh, that's crazy. I don't even know." And then he goes, uh, "Listen, he's like, I want it because we talked for like well over an hour or whatever." But he goes, uh, "He goes, I got to go to dinner. Felicia Michaels is coming over to eat, and l just after oh, I had yeah. said." Yeah. So I was like, I say, I said, are you fucking with me? Did you just watch the last thing that we did? And he's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And the door rings 
And he goes over to answer it, and it's Felicia Michaels. And I was like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? So I go to her. We were just talking about Star Search 1991. We're trying to figure out who won. And I mentioned your name and everybody. And she's like, oh, I won Star Search Yeah, yeah. It was the great, like, what are the fucking odds, dude? That's wild. That's you wild. know? Yeah. 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 It, I mean, there's, there's no coincidences. Everything no. is, everything's out there happening for a reason. Yeah, that was nuts. And I was just like, I was I was completely freaking out. Tom was on at the time too. And we were just looking at each other like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so that's wild. That was that was fucking nuts. Um, but you had a good so you you would Mark, uh Tom had brought up the photo of uh, Rodney earlier. You were good friends with Rodney, right? Well, not not good friends with him. I I, I that's uh the the picture there below. Actually, both of those pictures there, I was the first time I went to go see him at Westbury Music Fair. Um, when I had the gray suit on, and mm-hmm. then the other one, the other one was uh, in the parking lot at Westbury. Uh, wow. Afterwards, I, I had met him a few times and and uh, worked the club. And then I used to work Dangerfields a lot. I actually did nine shows in one night, uh, prom shows. I got there at seven thirty at night, left seven thirty in the morning. And um, holy shit! So Rodney would come in a lot when we were there doing shows. And right. um, so I got two good Rodney stories. I got. Uh, one story, we're at the bar. It's me, him, and about four other comics, and we're at the bar. And near, not down by the showroom, we were down the other end of the bar where, where the front door was. Mm-hmm. And Rodney's smoking a joint. Mm-hmm. And this young cop comes in, and he sees Rodney smoking a joint. This was, you know, this must have been the later, late 80s, late 80s, early 90s. Right. So um, the cop says, uh, hey, Rodney, you better put that out. I'm going to throw you in jail. So he goes. <laughs> Hey, fuck you, baby. Okay, all right, all right, okay. He goes, it's my joint, and it's my joint. Okay, so you don't like it, you go fuck yourself. All right, baby. He goes, Rodney, if I, I'm gonna go around the block once, so if I come back and you're smoking that joint, I'm gonna throw you in jail. He goes, Hey, fuck you, baby. I could use the publicity. All right, okay. <laughs> It was the funniest. I never saw a, a, a man say fuck you to a cop before like that. And this was back oh. when you, you weren't allowed to smoke pot in front of anybody, you know? Right. And one time, me and Bob Nelson did a tour, and Jeff Sussman was managing Bob Nelson at the time. So we called it the van tour. We just got in a van, and we did, you know, Boston, Albany. Uh, we went all around upstate Hartford and stuff. And then right. one of ours, we did like 10 cities, and I was opening up for Nelson. But Nelson was Rodney's opening act. So one of the stops was we had to go to the New Haven Theater, and mm-hmm. Nelson opened up for Rodney that night. So we were backstage at the New Haven Theater. We got there early, and there was a pizzeria around the corner. We were eating Meatball Heroes and pizza and stuff. Right. And Rodney shows up with his assistant, a guy named Stafford. And Rodney was on the Pritikin diet, which is basically just uh, you know cucumbers and lettuce and stuff. Okay. And he sees us eating all this, you know, stuff. And he's like, hey, fuck this. He goes, he comes, he goes, Joey, come here. He hands me a $100 bill. He goes, go around the corner. Tell uh, Al over there that it's for Rodney. I want two clam pizzas, a red one and a white one. Give me two clam pizzas. No cheese, just old clams, baby. All right, okay. I go, all right. He goes, tell him it's for Rodney. I don't know what you mean. So sure enough, I go around the corner. And I go, I'm, I'm here to pick up for Rodney two clam pizzas. I go, oh, right away. So they made one red, which is like clams and red tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. And then they did a white one, which all clams and like a garlic and oil with wow. clams, no cheese, and just oregano on all of it, right? Mm-hmm. So I get the two pies. I bring them backstage. 
And Rodney is, you know, he's always, always naked, except for wearing like a white, <laughs> white tablecloth robe. As a matter of fact, my wife met him one time and he stood up and the robe opened up. Oh my God. Backstage at Caroline's one time. But anyway, Jesus. I bring the pizzas back and Rodney takes the red one, mm -hmm. folds it in half, then he folds it in quarters and eats the whole pizza from the middle, from the point. You hear what I'm saying? Half and then quarters. Oh my god! The whole middle out of the pizza, and there's clams dripping out. Oh it's my the god! He's, wearing, he's naked except for a terry cloth bathrobe. It was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen ever in my life. And oh he, Jesus! He's just chowing down, chowing down. Puts it down, jumps in the shower, puts his suit on. Nelson goes out this half hour. Comes back. Rodney takes his shot of Jack. Goes on stage. Does the time. Comes back after the show. Suits off. Back in the th in the in the robe. Takes the white one. The white pizza. It's cold now. Right. Up, folds that in half. Folds that in quarters and starts oh. eating that one. <laughs> I've never seen Christ. anything like it. I've never what? seen anybody eat anything like that. I feel like uh, I, this it's like Danny DeVito in the first Batman movie where he's the penguin. <laughs> like that's yeah. the level of disgusting I feel right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so fucking wild, man. Stories, yeah. Wow. He was I, he was a guy I wish I had met. I, I really like even as even if I wasn't doing comedy at the time, I I love like he's just the best. He's, yeah, you know, he's, uh, another another wordsmith, another joke animal. You know, constantly yeah. writing. And, uh, he was good know, to younger comics, though, right? Like he used to pay you guys. Comics. Yeah, yeah, and he had his favorites too. And he, you know, he had uh, you know Nelson, Kinnison, Dice, Schimmel. You know, he liked dirty comics. And Roseanne, right? Like what's that? Roseanne too, right? Roseanne, yeah, he gave gave her a start, and uh, and Tim Allen, and uh, this, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, I wasn't chosen at that time. I wasn't. I wasn't a road, uh, big road headliner at that point. You okay. know. But I was I was a regular at Dangerfields. He knew who I was. I mean, he saw me on stage a few times. You know who I was. Mm -hmm. But you know, you know, some people say you know a lot of comics get bitter. Why didn't that person pick me? Why you know, am I more famous? Why 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 didn't right. I? Why didn't I? Who didn't I? You know what? We're, we're where we should be. You know, I I had a situation happen. There's a movie called Fools Rush In with Matthew Perry. Yeah, and he was uh, riding his friend's fame, and the, the the director Andy Tennant saw me at the Improv in L.A., and he um he said you're perfect for this movie. I want you to play uh, Matthew Perry's sidekick. So wow. I said great. So they flew me to Vegas. I read with Matthew Perry. Uh, it was going to be a big deal. Was, I was going to be like was, I was I was going to be broken at this uh, at this movie. It was going to be a, a great thing for me. Um, so, um, I got the part, you know, it's the second lead male lead and, um, a couple weeks goes by and Matthew Perry is in New York and he's on the Rocky Allen show on WPLJ. And mm -hmm. I happen to be in my shed with the radio on just wow. sitting around building a birdhouse or whatever. So right. the radio on and I'm listening to Rocky Allen and Rocky Allen says to Matthew Perry, I heard you got a new movie coming out. It's called, uh, fools rush in. And one of our good buddies, Joey Cola is in the movie with you. And mm. with that, Matthew Perry says, not anymore, he's not. So, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And so so Rocky Allen went, what? And he goes, oh, yeah, I had to replace him. I put my, that, that part went to a buddy of mine called John Tenney.
Now, John wow. Tenney had just gotten divorced from Terry Hatcher, and they were friends. So I guess he put his friend John. But I heard over the radio with everybody else. So I called Jeff Sussman, who, and I was with William Morris at the time. I was like, what yeah. the hell is going on? They said, yeah, you're not. They're going to give you a smaller part. And I got a smaller part, which later got cut out. Right? I saw uh, digital uh. checks for like, you know, 46 cents every once in a while. But it was a big, you know, and then I saw him on the Rosie. He actually ironically came to the Rosie O'Donnell show to promote that movie. And he took the time to walk over to me and go, no hard feelings. Right, man. And I was like, nyar, nyar. <laughs> you know, but you know, it happened. It was meant to be what's, what's meant to be is meant to be. You can't change right. it. The, our lives are a good way to look at it, you know, predetermined, predestined. So it didn't happen. And what am I going to do? I mean, Ray Romano brought me in about four times to read with him to play the best friend, Frank, on uh, on Everybody Loves Raymond. That oh, yeah, character yeah. was played by somebody else, and they knocked that character out in the first episode. Wow. But I, I used to work rascals with, you know, with, uh, you know, Brad Garrett, and I, I knew all them. And Ray came to my, used to come to my house for barbecues here on Long Island, and and uh, our kids played together in the backyard. And as a matter of fact, one time Rosie was out in L.A. shooting, and we were shooting the show right next to Ray's studio. And, oh, wow. And um, uh, Peter Boyle needed tickets for Burgess Meredith's family. So he sends wow. Ray over and says, is there any way you can get tickets? Because Peter Boyle needs them for Burgess Meredith's family. So right. I think that's a, that's a crazy dynamic. Yeah, that's so a <laughs> I said, so I said, I said to Ray, and I know, I know Ray from the clubs and stuff. So I said, Ray, he's got to do it for me, though. So he goes, all right, come on over. So and he knew exactly what I meant when I said he's got to do it for me. Mm -hmm. um, so I go to the studio oh. The audience isn't in yet They're in between scenes And there's Peter Boyle And Peter Boyle comes up to me and goes Are we going to be able to do those tickets? I said I got the tickets I got four tickets Everything's all set Just do it for me He goes alright calm down Everybody asks for the same thing He sits <laughs> on the couch In the Ray Ramon In the Everybody Loves Raymond living room On the couch And he does the Frankenstein From, from young Frankenstein And he looks yes. at me and goes I said, that's all I wanted. He goes, Oh my God. At that time, a lot of comics were asking Ray to get Peter Boyle to do that for him. Wow. That's yes, fucking he, crazy. Isn't that great? Isn't that crazy? That's awesome, though. Yeah. That you know, is so I, got, cool. I got a lot of great stories like that. I'm blessed. Jimmy Fallon. I was I was just gonna say Jimmy Fallon is like was uh uh you you had helped him out in the beginning you know it's I opened for Jimmy um that was my first national headliner that I ever opened for okay and it was right before he started late night and he he had he did he told me about that you were because I I was just a big it was a big deal it was five shows I'd never worked with anybody that big before ever his right. family was there they were super nice to me he was right. great to me the entire time. Yeah, and it was like a high. I'd still had a part time job uh, at a library, so it was like the biggest, you know. And it was awesome that he liked my set and you know everything too. Right. But um, I was afraid to go up and get a photo with him at the end. And he was like, you know, he was really cool about it. But I just kind of hung out in the back, and he was like, "Aren't you gonna like? Are we gonna get a photo together or whatever?" And I was like, "Oh, like, are you cool with that?" And he was like. I used to take photos with it. He goes, I used to bug Joey Cola. Like he, and he, yeah. and he totally mentioned you. He mentioned Louis Black. He mentioned all yeah. these people. And he said that you would, you would helped him out a lot when he was younger. 
Yeah, he um, we 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 were working a comedy the comedy works up in Albany. Tom Nicky had it, not Tom Nicky the son. The, the father originally had the club. Oh wow! And um, and I'm doing I'm I'm headlining this set on a weekend, and uh, there's two other comics from up from state, and there was mm-hmm. this guy managing the club. I forget his name, I, like Scott or something like that. I forget the guy's name, but Jimmy came in. <laughs> Jimmy came in, and um, well, first I'll I'll tell you what what happened. I'm working Rosie, and um. On the on the eighth floor at Thirty Rock, right? So we were at HG where Seth Myers is now, and and uh, and SNL is right down the right down the hallway. So we shared the floor with SNL. So okay. I get a tap. I'm walking back to the offices one day, and I get a tap on the shoulder, mm-hmm. and it's Jimmy Fallon. And I turn around, and I go, "Hey, Jimmy, how's it going? How's the show?" He goes, "You don't remember me, do you?" And I go, <laughs> "You Jimmy Fallon from Saturday Night Live." He goes, "No." Right. no, no. And then he began to tell me what I did for him. Wow. So, he, so he says to me, he goes, back in, 19, in 1980, blah, blah, whatever, he goes, you will work in the club. And mm-hmm. I walked in. I was 17 years old with my dad, and I had a guitar and a troll doll. And I said, do you mind if I do five minutes? And I said, no, let me just ask the other guys. The other comedian said no, and the manager said no. They wow. both said no. So he, he said, well, I said, well, they said no. And the manager went up to him and said no and told the father, sorry, but we have a tight show. It's sold out. He can't. But he, he could sit in the back and watch the show. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the other two comics go up, and I go up. And mm-hmm. in the middle of my 45-minute set, I said, listen, I got to go to the bathroom. But I got a friend of mine who's in the back who's going to come up and do five minutes to entertain wow. you. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim, little Jimmy Fallon. He didn't know he was going to come up. Comes up with the guitar, troll doll. He didn't do that well, but he, he performed. He was mm-hmm. there with his dad. He was adorable. And I, I had done that for a million comics back then. Right. Then a year later, at, that was um, at uh, Comedy Works in Albany. Then a year later at Bananas in Poughkeepsie was Harlan and Arlene Jameson, and, and they knew him, and they loved him. And they said, do you mind bringing this kid up? I said, no. I, 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 he's, he, they, t- they reminded me that I did it a year ago. Mm, so within my set again i brought him back on stage and this time he was a little bit more polished Mm -hmm. so i forgot both of those scenarios and then he reminded me on on the eighth floor of 30 rock and then he said to me he goes someday i'm going to have my own show and when i get my show i'm putting you on the show and i said just worry about yourself i i'm okay don't worry about me then a couple years after that i see him at the toronto comedy festival and he sees he comes running up to me, and I'm talking to you know, it was Jason Alexander was there, and and John Oliver, and it was Schimmel was there. And we were all talking, and he comes, he makes a beeline, he comes running over and goes, "I'm going to get my own show soon, and I'm going to put you on my show." I said, "Jimmy, I'm wow. good. Don't worry about it. Just get your show. If it happens, it happens. It doesn't. Does sure enough, he gets his own show, and uh, April first, April Fool's Day, two thousand and ten. Uh, a week, a, a week and a half before that, um, he had he called me and said, "I got my own show. I told you, and you're going to go on it. I'm giving you my uh, my one of my great producers." And uh, he producer called me. We set up the set, and I did wow. the set, and he put me on, and that was it. Yeah, that's incredible. What a great story, man. Yeah, and you know what I was talking to Jason Alexander about in Toronto? What I used to go out and audition for. That's the set. That's the that's the that's set. The- right there. Yeah, right there. Um, so, so Jason Alexander, I went out for a, an audition for a rolled gold commercial years oh. ago. Remember, remember the, the yeah, pretzels? yeah, so the pretzels. They wanted a Jason Alexander type, so I had these little round glasses <laughs> in my hand. So, 
I went in and I improvised. They they said I said where's the sides for the script? There was no sides, just improvise, and wow. we will uh, we'll we'll let you know. Okay, so I'm improvising, and it, it was it was like the girl's name was April. I said, hey, where's May and June, and blah blah blah, and I I improvised for about twenty minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I and I left. I never got the commercial. About nine months wow. later, I'm in a hotel in Detroit, working a club in Michigan. In the middle of the night after the shows, I'm watching TV, and there's Jason Alexander doing the rolled gold commercial with everything that I wrote. Oh everything no! I wrote, I wrote the commercial. So I called my manager Jeff Suss. I called. We called the agent. But there it is. is. It? That, wow! That, I think that's it. So we called him and I said, "I wrote that commercial." They said, "What proof do you have?" I said, "I have no. I have no proof. If they rolled out the tape." <laughs> So they, so they, so they pretty much told me at that point, don't say anything. You're going to get blackballed. So I went back at the time, New York had the PCA, the professional comedians association. We tried to unionize. So wow. we were having meetings in the city and, and long, a long Island chapter of the PCA. And I brought it up at one of the meetings. I said, guys, listen, I auditioned for a commercial. There was no sides and I improvised and I used the whole thing. Well, after that meeting, the PCA, uh, the the board of directors, um, made it made it um, uh, made a rule that when you auditioned and there was no sides and a comedian had to improvise, that you were allowed to put on a tape recorder. With those, we had those little mini tapes at the time. Yeah. And you, if they said you have to improvise, then we could record it. And if they said we don't want you recording that, you got to walk out of the audition. Because wow. then, because the, they could use your shit. And That's incredible. It happened to me. It happened to like a bunch of comics. So then, after that, I went on a bunch of commercial auditions, and I would bring a tape, and and I, I never got you no know, got anything or anything after that. But uh, yeah, another, Tom, another thing that happened. That, that no. So what do I do? Do I get mad at that and carry that? I mean, it's a story to tell on a podcast, but. I can't carry stuff like that. No, I know what you mean. It's too much. Yeah. And and plus, if you're talented enough, you know, you just keep going. You know, you keep working and you've kept working. I think I told Tom wants to know if he can play the commercial, by the way. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Play it, Tom. Well, look who's here. The gym class joke. That was before Fat Free Rolled Gold Pretzels. Prove it, Pretzel Boy. Must be the pretzels. <laughs> Wanna dance? For great taste that's bad that free, it must be the pretzels. It wasn't that it one. It must be no. rolled gold. I remember that one. It wasn't that one. This, okay. one. this one had, he calls a girl, uh, the girl's name was April. He was in an elevator. Okay. And, and I, and I, I said, Hey, where's May and June? And, you know, so it was it was a different one than that. Gotcha. I was gonna. I remember that commercial. I think I remember the one you were talking about too. The 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 elevator one sounds really familiar. Yeah, it was. He was with a girl in an elevator, and I. Right. You know, I'm, I, I think I told twenty minutes. So yeah, I, you, you never know. I mean, you know, it's Joe Joe Starr gave me a good uh, good um, piece of advice when I was uh, when I was younger and I was starting out too because I think I told you this, but. Um, I was doing a joke at Caroline's one night. It was right when Michael Jackson died. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was fresh in everybody's minds and stuff or whatever. And I think it was like a little after 
uh, everybody had gotten together for his funeral. And it was the same kind of setup everybody kind of had, you know, or whatever. But the punchline was different. And so my joke was basically like, um, I think I said, you know, I said, uh, people don't have any perspective when celebrities die. I said, especially other celebrities. I said, Magic Johnson went on stage and said, meeting Michael Jackson was one of the best times of his life. And I went, how about a beating AIDS at the top of that <laughs> list? Maybe, and then dunking, and then maybe meeting my, like just a little bit of, so I did that. And, and uh, about, I don't know, like a couple, few days later, my friend calls me and she's like, turn on Last Comic Standing right now. And I was like, okay, or whatever. And I fucking turn on the TV, and there's a there's a comic doing that exact bit verbatim, word for word, and he got passed. What are you gonna do? And that, and I told I called Joe Starr at the time. I was I was 22, maybe something like that, 23. And I was like, I was you know, I was upset. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? And he goes, and I was like, what do I do? And he goes, you know what you do? He goes, you write another joke. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, and you just keep yeah, going. Dude, and, he, and he's like, and that's well, it. You know, People who steal are going to continue to steal. People who create are going to continue to create. That's it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm I'm constantly looking for the next joke, and and uh, there's still no. I, I just did a gig with with some young comics, <clears throat> with uh, Mick Thomas and a few other guys, and I and I walked in there and I was the, you know I was the granddaddy of everybody. I'm going to be sixty. Right. And, and I got so high coming off the stage. I only did like twenty minute twenty minute spot, but um, you know, it was still. I was still excited. And uh, this other comic comes up to me. He goes, man, you know how refreshing it is to see a guy that's been doing it so long, still excited coming off stage. I said, yeah, well we do something that's, that warrants that. Yeah. You know? It's different than every, any other job. I mean, this is, and, and with the pandemic and everything, not to be on stage before the pandemic, I hadn't gone more than two weeks without being on stage. And, and uh, yeah. it would have been 39, 40 years. Yeah, I, I, it, it bums me out, man, because like I, you know, I love going on the road. I love hotel rooms. I like right. the the whole thing. Yeah. I like traveling yeah. places. Never been. And yeah. I don't know if you know Joanne Filan, but I travel with her all the time. We go on the no, road together, and yeah. oh, she, I, I would love for you to meet her. She's so funny. She's one of my best friends, uh -huh. and uh, we just love traveling together. You know, when you find somebody, it just clicks. Same yeah, music, food. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. have a we have a blast on the road. Matter of fact, this buddy, this guy right here, one of my the, the guy uh, no the other side, this guy right here, my friend Hector Rosano was oh. uh, was uh, my my buddy from Cleveland. Wow. Who, uh, this is this is taken at the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee. We met wow. in Cleveland, and uh, and we were best friends for twenty something years, and he passed away of leukemia. But that's that he oh, was sorry, my man. road person that whenever I went to yeah. the West, he was with me. Yeah. And that's the thing. And, and, and the, I'll tell my manager the same stuff. And he and it's funny, too, because he'll know now at this point where, like, if he's booking me a gig somewhere, my next question is going to be, can I bring Joanne? Like, can I? I, I got to bring Joanne. Could she get a hotel? So, um, but I, I love, you know, I love doing that kind of stuff. And the fucking pandemic hit and took me off the road. I did some Zoom shows. I did well on them. I don't think it's that much of an adjustment. They're not the yeah. same. Yeah. But now the same thing's creeping in. We're like, I, I've got gigs booked. And I'm ready to go back out. And of course, in the back of my head, I'm like, well, what if I can't do it? And it's just like, I just don't. I, I, was, like I, know I, I was yeah. like that. And I was like that. And again, I carried my act with me. And I was nervous. Mm -hmm. um, but. Only, only because, and especially last Friday when I had to do 50 minutes and then Saturday I did 50 minutes at Governor's. Right. The way that I, the way that I 
I brought it back was I I I called I called back an old my lessons from Joanna Bexon to be oh, wow. Eisner in the moment and call on that anger that wrote that bit. Right. And be that person. Say those words. You wrote the script. Just find that emotion again. And that's yeah. what I did. And I found the emotion about cleaning up the dog shit and my brother-in-law's an asshole and doing the, <laughs> the cat thing and the dog and all the stuff. And yeah. I found it. And I wound up doing 52 minutes on Friday and almost an hour on Saturday because Holy I was in that anger. And yeah. And the Saturday I was able to bring out the newer stuff too, because there, there's a certain anger that, that comes with that. I mean, that's where, that's right. where all good comedy comes from. Yeah. That's where I'm, I'm hoping that all kind of, cause I love being on stage and I like improvising and I like playing with, I, I like having like a, you know, obviously I've got all the stuff that works, but I love incorporating new stuff and, and playing with the audience and stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, fuck, what if I forget how to do that? But hopefully it comes back, you know, and hopefully it'll build and, and yeah, come back. Yeah, I, I had a situation where I forgot my act about four years ago. I, um, I, uh, remind me a second. I want to tell you something about Tom Papa too, but, uh, oh, sure. This, this has nothing to do with that. But about, about four years ago, I was doing a gig with Richie Byrne and we were going to, um, doing a, a YMCA in New Jersey. And it was a, for uh, my friend Bobby Gonzo. And mm -hmm. it was 500 people, big room, big stage. And it was me and Richie Byrne. And uh, Mike Marino happened to be in town. So he said, I want to hang out with you guys that night. So I'll MC it. He's a headliner. But he'll yeah, MC it. I know, so Mike. Go on and hang out with us and everything. So we had food. Now, I have a stint put in that I had to put in in 2015. So ever mm -hmm. since I had the stint put in, I've been on a statin drug, a beta blocker, small amount of beta blocker. And um, I was on Plavix for a while, but I'm off that now. Um, and I feel I feel great. But the beta blocker I found out is also a psychological drug. It's a psych. It's a it's a it's a it's like a Xanax uh, type of thing. Oh shit! So I tried to wean myself off of it, cold turkey. And by the time when I, when I did that, uh, I was about eight days in, mm -hmm. and. I get on uh, the the Mike Marino goes up, does about ten minutes, brings up Richie Byrne, he does a half hour, then Mike was doing another ten minutes, then all I had to do was a half hour, that's it, not even forty five, another half yeah. hour, and that's the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Joey Cola, I get on stage and I forget my act totally. Wow. For ten minutes, I'm going, hey, how you doing, everybody? How's it going? And it was all cops and firemen, so. And at first they're like, we're doing good. Do your fucking act, asshole. You know, like that. Right. And, uh, and now, and then some people in the audience were like thinking I was having a stroke or. Right. I had a transient global amnesia episode. Holy Transient shit. global amnesia episode. What the Because fuck? I came off the beta blockers too quick. It happens once. It happens to people over 50. And I came off the beta blockers too quick. I came off stage like Mike, um, um, you know, Tom, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danny C came up, handed me water and said, and, and now Bobby Gonzo, Richie Byrne, they're going, do the cat bit, do the dog bit, do this bit. And I go, right. Sorry, guys, I, I don't, I don't know. Now my act is set up, you know, it's the Long Island Expressway and it's modular bits where, right. you know, through all the bits are modular. All I need is a transition. And to get into my act, the on-ramp, you might say, is mm -hmm. either talking about weather, my weight, or uh, 
or the seasons. Those right. three, one of those three things gets me on the highway, and then I could I could piece together many exits to get to the end of it if I needed, you know, many chunks. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't find any on ramp onto my act. I forgot it. Wow. So I. I come off stage. Luckily, Mike was there, so he did another half hour, and he he headlined it. Me and Richie got in the car. I knew where I was. I wasn't having a stroke. I knew everybody around me. I drove wow. home, and on the way home, I did my act twice for Richie Byrne. Just wow. in, in that moment, that's what happened. So I go to my doctor. I go to a neurologist. I go to a heart doctor. I go to a million doctors, and my, my GP says it's a common thing. You came off the beta blocker too too quickly. You got to stay on that. Even though it's 12.5 milligrams, you got to stay on that until you know, if you're going to wean off it, but you should never wean off. You should be on it for the rest of your life. It stops right. you from having a, a major heart attack. Wow. So he knows, he wouldn't tell me who, but one of his patients is a, is plays for the, either the Mets or the Yankees. And the guy was in the batter's box with like a two in one count in the batter's box in a full stadium. Holy and shit. in the moment, he forgot how to hit. Called timeout, had to walk back to the dugout and get replaced for the game because wow. he says, "I don't know how. I don't know how to swing this bat. I don't know how to hit." So he wouldn't tell me if it was a Met or a Yankee or who it was or what year it was. But he said one of his patients that happened to him. So um, it's a, called That's a transient. Episode. So when we went back. I was telling the story to somebody, the lighting director at Rachel Ray, this guy Mitch, and his wife is also a Broadway lighting director. It happened to her a couple of years back because she was giving like a dissertation at one of the Broadway houses during the day on mm -hmm. lighting. She goes on stage. She had to speak for an hour. She goes on stage 10 minutes in. She forgets what she's talking about completely. Wow. She just walks off stage, and then her husband had to kind of finish it because she didn't know what what she was talking about and why. She, Jesus. And this is a, a Broadway lighting professional. Right. You know? But so, yeah, I've been lucky. Transient global amnesia, Bell's palsy. I had labyrinth. <laughs> I got vertigo uh, back in January. Oh, I'm just a ball of land. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you're still going, though, dude. Still going, man. Still I gotta, going. I gotta ask you about this because I'm a, you know, I'm a Jersey guy. I'm raised in Jersey or whatever. Born right. in Brooklyn, but grew up primarily right. in New Jersey. You had a picture up. You posted. You were, I think you were at a, um, I had to be like a governor's ball, maybe like a cops thing. Tom's got it. Can you bring up that photo, Tom? Tom's. There we go. Oh, Do you, Stewart, yeah. Where, where was was this at a what was this at a that benefit for police? The, uh, that's a plane in the background above us, and that's the uh, the Museum of uh, Aviation on Long Island. Um, we did that was when that was the fireman Long Island's Firefighters Museum is connected fireman. to that. Okay. And this is John Stewart was very big with the Zadroga bill. Yes, helping the people, the firemen at nine eleven, get their money. Okay. So I do the stand. I did the stand up there every year, but that year he spoke, so I didn't do stand up. But John and I know each other from Catch a Rising Star back in the uh, in the eighties. Wow! And I was the warm up for his original show. 
back where Wendy oh, Williams shit. is now, which is right above where Rachel Ray shoots and where Martha Stewart shot, same studio. He right. Used to be my, he wanted me to be his warm-up guy. So back in 1993 or 92, right. I, was, I was the warm-up for his show. It was a variety show. It wasn't, it wasn't the political show. It was just a variety show. It was on WOR Channel 9 here in New York. Oh, and, wow. So it was, it was even was before on, the MTV one? What's that? It was even before the MTV one with this, the John Stewart show. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Wow. I didn't well, know he had another show. This was like 19. If you look it up, the John, I still got the original t-shirt and he actually signed it that night, but wow. uh, yeah, a good, a good, good buddy. Uh, uh, another guy I know forever. Um, again, catch on, catch on first Avenue in the eighties. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, actually first and 72nd street. Um, another guy I was in the trenches with. Uh, wow. Good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so, you had uh, mentioned Leary too. So you came up with all that, like Leary was a Boston dude, right? So you, when you go out there, you would hang out with Lenny Clark and, and Leary and all those yeah, guys. Well, no, but Leary was down here in New York. So I would, uh, when I would, whenever I'd go on auditions and he'd be there, him, Mark Marin and stuff. And then we'd all work, we'd all work wow. stand up in New York. And I remember Marin is w one of the people who really got me into politics because I remember we would do it when the, um, Democratic convention was at the Madison Square Garden back uh, mm -hmm. 1980 something, and I remember Mark Marin running into Stand Up New York, going, "I got tickets. Who's coming with me? I got tickets. Uh, Bill Clinton <laughs> is going to win. Bill Clinton's going to speak, and blah blah blah. Who's coming?" I I I said, "Mark, I'm not. I got I got sets to do. I, I'm not doing that." But I remember him getting real excited, and I was like, "Why is he getting so excited about anything political?" And and I remember Susie Espin was there that night, and we were because she lived right across the street. And her mm. and I were, were talking about how um, we're we're not really political comics, but where um, we try to help people politically and and, and um, do the right thing when we can. That's all. Right. So, but Leary Leary used to do that. I had rates. I would stand up in New York. I was just telling. I was just telling Chris Monty how I met. Um, I met Robin Williams. I was on stage at Stand Up New York, and um, oh, shit. He, I get I get handed a note. Robin Williams is c coming on next, so wrap it up. So I finish my <laughs> set. The MC comes back on, ladies and gentlemen, Robin Williams, and he he uh, he killed. He did about forty minutes of maniac Robin Williams, and I waited right. for him afterwards. It was winter, and he had a long coat on and a red beret, and um, he said goodbye to Carrie Hoffman was there and who used to own the club and. And a couple of comics are hanging out and we went out to the street and um, he said, I said, where are you going? He goes, I'm going to catch a cab. He goes, which way are you going? I, I want to walk down to Amsterdam. So I said, you mind if I walk with you? He said, no. So it was just me and him walking wow. down 78th street from the, the club is near Broadway, but we walked down to Amsterdam Avenue. And as we were talking, I said, I mean, it's Robin Williams. And he just, he, he just had finished uh, being the genie in uh, in Aladdin. Which yeah. was phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. so yeah, I one said, of the best. I gotta tell you, uh, I'm a big Disney fan, and uh, and uh, you 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 as the genie and, and Aladdin was was a great. My kids love it. It's phenomenal. Blah, and I just sung him all these praises, and he said to me, "Yeah, it's fucking Disney, man." And I said, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "They paid me in a painting. They paid <laughs> you in a painting." Yeah, they gave me a painting. I got some. I got cash, and I got a deal. But in my deal was a painting and some kind of Picasso thing and everything. I don't know what my agent was thinking about. So I was like, "What? <laughs> a painting?" He kept he kept going on about a painting that they gave him a painting. Oh well, my apparently, god! Apparently, the painting was was like a Picasso. It was worth like a lot of money. 
and I I think he sold it later on, and he made like twenty million dollars off the painting or whatever. Holy but shit! He just kept on going on about uh them, him being paid in the painting. So I was like, <laughs> I, I, whatever they paid you, man. I guess it wasn't enough because I just thought you were great in the role, you know. So yeah, <laughs> that was, my, that was my, my Robin Williams moment too. I mean, uh, holy shit! Good to meet him too. That's the one thing about doing stand up in New York. Um. You know, if you if you make if you're out there enough and you're writing and you're funny and you're banging around enough clubs, you're gonna meet you're gonna meet big stars and and it, people that aren't big stars, but those are the ones who are the funniest. You know? Yeah, I feel like fuck uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's six degrees of Joey Cola. Because <laughs> there's, I mean, my 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 funniest friends aren't even famous at all. Like a lot. Who do my, you? I, who's your crew? Who's your guys? Uh well you know Joe Starr and I love of Chris course Monty, I love Tim Gage I think he laugh harder Tim Gage is the most quoted comedian in my house when he does the eyebrows bushy 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 yeah Tim Gage is Colin Quinn's cousin you know yes and um, I met him I met him with you in um in Long Island at the yeah. uh one of the first times I was at the uh, at Governor's yeah yeah and uh, yeah so um I mean uh. And, and you know, there's we've we've seen so much. I mean, I got these laugh lines here because I've laughed so much in my life. It's so much, you know. People say, "What's the funniest thing you ever?" I mean, uh, I, a good friend of mine, Peter Sasso, has a joke. He says um, he he's a great comic, and the funniest thing I ever heard him say was, "What's the difference between Abu Dhabi and Dubai?" Well, in Dubai, they don't like the Flintstones, but the Abu Dhabi do. <laughs> <laughs> Peter Sasso is great, but and you don't know who he is, but he's a great comic. I mean, well, years ago, people didn't know who Daryl Hammond was. Daryl Hammond and Billy Gardell right. were working. Were they're from Orlando originally? And I was doing um, a club down in uh, Orlando. I forget the name of it. Um, that side splitters. Uh, that's Tampa. Um, Snappers. No, it was in Orlando, and uh, there was another sister club in New Smyrna Beach. Uh, hmm. I forget the name of the club. The San Philip Brothers had it. Anyway, I'm working there, and uh, and it turns out, and, and Billy Gardell and uh, and Daryl Hammond were good friends. And Daryl used to do all these voices, you know. He does a lot of character voices. So they took me to the radio station. They both mm -hmm. worked at the radio station. And later on in their careers, I actually helped them come to New York, Billy and uh, – and and Daryl Hammond, but Daryl Hammond used to do a bit. He opened up for me at the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee, and we had to take a van right. to the um, to the radio station. And we were sitting in the back of the van, and there was an old uh, uh, penthouse forum. Mm -hmm. So he was reading the stories, but he was doing it as Bugs Bunny. <laughs> and to this day, you're a Bugs Bunny fan. Yeah. To this day, the funniest thing I've ever heard is Daryl Hammond. You know, he would do them. And they would all end with the sentence, my rock hard cock. So, <laughs> so as Bugs Bunny, now this is Daryl Hammond going, as Bugs Bunny going, dear Penthouse, while sitting at a baseball game, my girlfriend got very horny by watching the first baseman. Before you know it, we were in the men's room and she was bopping up and down on my rock hard cock. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he would, but he would make up like 12 of them. And it was, one was funnier than the next. Mm -hmm. And only did it on stage that night once at the Comedy Cafe in Milwaukee. Now I've wow. seen him a couple of times since then, and I go, Daryl, you got to do it a bit, man. You got no, no, that was for you. That's that one thing. It's it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Bugs Bunny reading Penthouse wow. Forum. Yeah, that's crazy, man. And and I love that Billy Gardell uh, 
did that. I, I saw a video. I think maybe you posted it or somebody did. Um, but he's very sweet, man. He he, he yeah. uh, pointed to you when you were on the Rachel Ra when he was on Rachel yeah. Ratio or whatever. Yeah, he, he, I feel he, like he said, uh, he said some nice things about me uh, when I was warming up the show. Yeah, yeah, he seems like a really cool dude too. Kevin James he, did that also. It's good when they when people remember where you come from, you know. Yeah, and they uh, it's good when you, you were hilarious when you were doing the corn on the cob, dude. I mean, that was fun. Oh, that just that you. whole thing was fucking thanks. hysterical. Yeah. yeah. I got uh, I got that picture up here somewhere. Oh, you do? Yeah, hold on. I got it. Hold on. This is the oh, it's stuck to the wall. Ah, uh, glue. Wow, that's great. <laughs> it's up Did you, uh, was it was it Bonkers Comedy Club or Sack Comedy Club? There I am. Oh, up nice. That is fucking yeah. hysterical. Yeah, I think about that every time I'm eating corn. Four years of corn I ate during that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did but, you, uh, yeah, bonkers, bonkers, bonkers is what it was. Okay. Bonkers comedy club down there. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Okay, but yeah, Billy's Billy's also a good friend. Matter of fact, I I usually watch his show tonight, and then mm -hmm. after the show, I text him, and we talk about the show a little bit. But I told him, don't expect it this week because I'm on a on John Pavaromo's uh, podcast. He says that's okay. Make sure you text me right afterwards, though. Oh, nice. We're still good friends. Yeah, he's a good he's a good guy. Really that's sweet, funny, super funny too. You know. Yeah, no, he's hilarious, man. He's another one of those guys that's just completely natural, like oh, everything he's said. Like Mike he, and Molly was great. He came to uh, Westbury Music Fair, and he had an old buddy of ours, Ben Creed, open up for him. And mm -hmm. the next day, he says, what are you doing tomorrow morning? I, I said, well, I, nothing. What are you, what are you saying? Some a hotel not far from your house. He goes, let's go to breakfast at the diner. So we saw his show at Westbury Music Fair. Next day, my wife and I picked him up. We all went to breakfast at the diner, and then he drove upstate to do another casino and then went back to L.A. Wow. But just a just a great salt of the earth, funny, funny guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. All the, I mean, it's, it's it's something in the New York water, I think, because it's all and like the same. There's a lot of great comics in New Jersey. Tom Papa. Now, you're going to have Tom Papa on, right? Yes, I'm having him on on Thursday. I warmed up his show, Marriage Ref, that was produced by Seinfeld. Oh, shit. Tom is a big fan of me doing the cat noise. Oh, and I go, nice. yo, 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 yo. Is there any way we can tape this for him and show it to him? I will clip exactly this and show it to Ready, Tom. I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to do it right here. Ready? Tom, right. I know you love the cat noise, and this is for you, buddy. Yo, 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 <laughs> so Amazing. Clip for him, and I, uh, will. I love Tom Papa. Just a great, great human being. Um, I met him uh, once at the comedy store in L.A. when I moved out to L.A. Super nice guy, but it was so I don't even know if he did this on purpose, and I'm going to tell him when he's on the show. Right. But he um he comes so he where I get I'm coming down from the belly room, and he's walking down the main hallway, right. and Bill Burr is on the main stage so now we're at the doors and i'm sitting at the high top table and he's standing and he's watching him and i'm watching him and then he just goes to me i just got these glasses what do you think and he turns and looks at me and we're basically wearing the same fucking it's the same <laughs> ones that you and i have on and i went and i just went hate him and he just went <laughs> he laughed and he just went mm, and then turned around <laughs> and <laughs> watching burr and i was like what the fuck? <laughs> it was so weird but he's so great I never went on at the at the comedy store. I got to go backstage with Don Marrera. 
Oh, I love Dom. Backstage. Well, people, when people ask me who are your biggest influences in comedy, I say three Richies and a Dom. I say Richie Minervini, the owner of the East Side Comedy Club, is right. one of my good friends and one of my mentors. Um, Rich Jenny, of course. Yeah. He took me under his wing. And Richard Pryor and Dom Herrera, you know. And then there's others. There's Rob Bartlett, you know, Bobby Collins. And, yeah. You know, many, I mean, good comics are influenced by many other comics, you know? I, I'm stunned that I got to work with all of I mean, I just feel really lucky that, like, I, I mean, I, I know, I don't know, I don't know. I have no idea why or how or whatever, but I just liked that when I was coming up, I guess I was just in the right places at the right time. Because I did get to meet all of you when I was younger and yeah. got to hang out with you, and you guys were all super nice to me. I know well, other people have these also, horror stories. You also had the goods, too, you know? Thanks, I mean, they're, they're, and you showed up with... Uh, you showed up with, with with a brain in your head and respect and and um you uh you know you were like uh you know star came up to you you gotta you gotta watch this kid work I mean, he's 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 got it he's got the goods so um you know, we watched you work and you were very very funny on stage as you are now and Thanks. you've got the intelligence and the uh and the balls to back it up too man so you got everything it takes to uh to get from A to B and then we'll see where the journey takes takes you man. Thanks man I mean, I, I, I got that. everything I've ever wanted, and I and I don't really have any fame, so I, I got more than I've ever wanted. To be honest, right. what I wanted to be was a good husband and father, and I'm still with my wife after all these years, forty one years, and my kids are, you know, I still got my well, my kids are older now, but I've gotten everything yeah. I ever wanted. You know, I, I mean, I yeah. had a boat for a little while. Rosie gave me a boat in the last episode of the show when she gave me when she gave right. me the award. She gave me the boat on the show. Yeah. Um, how did that even come about that she gave you? Did you did you want the boat? Did you hint that you wanted a boat? Or was Rosie just like, story. you get a boat? It's the greatest story. There was a, rest his soul, a great cameraman named Kenny Decker. Okay. I hope, I hope that his wife, uh, Michelle, is watching this. She does the prompter for uh, Colbert and, oh. uh, and John Oliver. She, she's a prompter girl. But uh, Kenny Decker was one of the cameramen on Rosie, and he later became a cameraman on... Uh, on Wendy and a million other shows, one of the greatest New York camera people around. So right. we, the show was winding down. We were coming into the later years of the end of the Rosie O'Donnell show. And um, she wanted to do something for me and Donna Richards. Donna Richards is the wardrobe lady who does Saturday Night Live now, but she did. She was Rosie's personal wardrobe person. And a lot of the producers got the statue, you know, got this statue, but we didn't, we got, we got plaques. We got like a, a plaque that said the Emmy, you know, the Emmy award television right. sciences or whatever, but it was like a plaque. So, um, piece of paper. Yeah. So the last show, Nathan Lane was on the show and I think, um, I forget who else was on the show, but, um, so the last show we do a segment she, and she calls us over. Mm-hmm. And, and basically says, what do you guys, did you guys get Emmy Awards? No, but um, she gives us, she had just won for best show and best host. She gives me best show. She gives Donna Richard best host. And she goes, and I know you've always wanted a boat. So here's a boat. It was a Proline center console, 19 foot uh, with a T-top. And she gave, she gave Donna Richards a car, a, Sh a Chrysler car. Now the way that it came about was about a month, a month or two before the show ended, uh, Rosie knew that Kenny Decker and I were good friends and that we would go to the boat show at Javits Center. Mm -hmm. So, so Kenny, she told Kenny, Rosie told Kenny, find out what Joey really, you know, get in his head and find out what he, what he wants. If he had, if he hit the lottery, what would he buy? Mm 
Right. So I said, well, you know, Kenny's a sailboat guy. And I said, I would get a, a boat. I'd like a little motorboat because I, I grew up in the Great South Bay in Long Island, clamming and crabbing and fishing and stuff like that. Right. So I said, well, I'd get a small, you know, I'd get a center console, like a pro line or whatever. He goes, let's go to the boat show and, and, and go look at the boats. So we did it one day after the shows, him and I went to the Javits Center and look at the boats. So, so he goes, he goes, just for shits and giggles, show me the exact boat that you would get if you, if you had the choice. So I brought him right over to Proline and I said, well, this would be perfect for the Bay. I mean, I could take my wife and kids on this boat and everything, but you know, it's uh, it's a lot of money. It's, it's $27,000. So that's not happening. I'm still driving a minivan and all the money I ever made went into my family. I never bought myself anything. I, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm here to serve. So, um, so he found that out and told Rosie. And um, everybody watched it live unfold. And my friend of mine, John Cefeli, the first mm -hmm. phone call was from him who owned a marina out in Suffolk on Long Island and said, I just saw what happened and I got you slip waiting for you. Oh, my God. That's and incredible. I took that boat when it was ready. I added, I added some of my own money to it, made it a little bit bigger, and added a couple things to it. And it was a, a lifetime, a, a, a life, a childhood dream to have a boat. And I used to, when I was a kid, um, my parents used to take me and my brother to the Bayshore Marina. And right on the corner of the dock where the ferries go by is where we used to fish. And my mother would eat everything that we took out of that water. I just put garlic and oil with it, and she'd eat it. <laughs> and I always, uh, we always fished off the dock. We never mm -hmm. could afford a, a mm -hmm. boat or anything really, you know? So I, when I got that boat, I took it right to that spot, but in wow. the water this time, not on the dock. Mm -hmm. I shut the motor off and I went like this and I said, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. And that was a gift. That's incredible, man. I never knew that story. That's, that's actually incredible. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of this comic. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> That's I, I I loved that show, man, and the fact that you were a part of it. I mean, it was when I was a kid. Uh, Rosie always reminded me of like because uh, I grew up in Brooklyn. My whole family's from Brooklyn. Right. My dad's side of the family. My mom's side of the family. You know, it's just we uh, we were in uh, uh, Borough Park, 40th Street. That's where my whole right. family's from. Oh, okay. 40th, 43rd, 46th. Right. You know. And so the avenue, the whole—I mean, that's that's all we had—the snow, everything, right? Yeah. Um. And uh. But ro like watching Rosie when I was on when she was on TV, it's like I was watching one of my cousins, my aunts. No matter what it was, she just exuded that kind of thing. When I was a kid, I didn't. I was in you know no kid like school, but I used to play. Like I was sick yeah. sometimes to stay at home with my mom sometimes whatever. And when I would do that, she would let me yeah. watch the Rosie O'Donnell show, and she and I would watch it together. And it was just like hanging out with your family because we weren't we had moved, so I wasn't in Brooklyn anymore. Yeah, but my mom, we were like we were in Arizona, I think, at the time when the Rosie O'Donnell show was on. The greatest, the greatest show. I'll tell you, Rosie is an a, uh, an unbelievable. You know, two people that I worked for now, Rachel Ray, is mm. a phenomenally generous human being, do doing for people, doing for animals, doing for any everything. She's she's there to serve. She's there to help. And she puts her money where her mouth is. Believe me, she does. And right. Rosie was the same way. And I'm going to tell you a story about Rosie O'Donnell um, that's going to make the hair on the on the back of your neck stand up. Wow. I come in. Um, I come in one morning to Thirty Rock, and I get there early. I get there seven thirty for. A, I had an eight fifteen meeting or whatever. But 
I get there at 7.30, and Rosie got there early also. We were the only mm -hmm. two there, and I see her in the hallway. And she was Dutta Shanga. She was, you know, she was a mess. Was, right. Looked like she I haven't had, heard that in years, yeah, by the way. She, was, uh, <laughs> she looked like she hadn't slept and everything. So I go up to her, and I go, hey, big shot. Mm -hmm. Were we out all night last night with all your friends at Joe Allen? Were your Broadway friends at Joe Allen's? Mm -hmm. And she said to me, no. I couldn't sleep last night, so I went to Sloan and wrote checks. Wow. Holy shit. I couldn't shit. sleep last night, so I went to Sloan and wrote checks. Now, what she oh would do God. is she'd take her checkbook. She'd go to the waiting room where families were distraught, mm -hmm. with family members dying of cancer, little kids, chemo, the whole thing. And she'd write checks, not $12. 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. Wow. There was a couple of comedian friends of ours that whose wives had breast cancer. Joey, I heard so-and-so's wife's got breast cancer. Here's a check for 10,000, mail it. Wow. People don't know that. Right. About her. That's what no. she did. She'd stay up all night, go into Sloan Kettering incognito with a checkbook and write checks. That's, that's Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, that's Rosie O'Donnell, and that yeah. and the show reflected it. You know, she was the first one to say, "Hey, look under your seats. There's something there." She's the first one to say, "Here's ringdings under your seat. Here's milk." She's yeah. the Robocam. She wanted Broadway shows in that very small studio, HG, and we mm -hmm. had Titanic, a Broadway play. Fifty-seven people from that show were on that little tiny stage. So she's the one who invented a giant curtain to go around the whole thing to make it Broadway-esque. And she's the one who put, who made sure we had a RoboCam on a track on top of the studio to wow. shoot it all. She did all of that. She, she is an amazing and amazing human being. And she's an artist. She paints well. She, um, gives her life to her kids. Uh, mm. She's uh, codependent like I am. So she takes on people's problems and, and kind tries to see them through to fruition when she's mm -hmm. helping somebody. But um, I, I'm involved in 34 different charities now. And one wow. of the reasons why I'm, I'm so involved in charities is because I learned from Rosie O'Donnell how to, how to give back and be involved. I mean, from Gilda's Club to Guardian Brain Foundation, Sharon Rothberg, Comedy Cures. Um, you know, I can I can go on and on. And yeah. On. Uh, there's there's 34 about 34 of them now, and and Rachel Ray now I've been with her for 11 years, and she's the same way. Wow. She's the same way, and uh, see, you attract the same kind of people, though. That's 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 the real that's the real truth behind all that stuff is that you you know because of who you are that's the kind of people you attract that you're around that you wind up working with. Yeah. It's funny it's how that works sometimes, you know? Yeah. It was, oh, it's going yeah. back to what you were saying earlier. You'd be, if you be nice and you're kind to people or whatever, you know, you get it, you kind of get it back too. We're only here for a half hour, man. Get in, yep. do the right thing, get out. Yeah, man. Something's coming at you. A bus, a bullet, something, you know, yep. I used to Absolutely. do a bit about that in my act. I used to say, how'd you, you know, people would, People used to compare how they died. How'd you die? Oh, cancer, heart attack. How'd you die? You're not going to believe this. OJ jumped out of a bush and stabbed my ass. <laughs> Winner. 
<laughs> ah, that's I've never heard that one before. That one's fucking great. That's a great bit, man. If you don't, you got to bring that back. Well, I don't even know if people know who OJ is anymore. No, but you could do that with fucking, oh my God. There's so many replacements for that. I'll think of some good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking great, man. I want to, uh, so we've been talking for two. How long? You froze up on me. Over a little over two hours. Oh no. Am I back? Uh, now you're back. Uh, I actually thought I was going to, I lost you, but yeah. Um, you're not um, moving, but yeah. Oh. Uh, Oh, am, I, am I gone? I I could hear you, but you're moving uh, the frame frame by frame. Oh, okay, you're Did back. Yeah, I, oh, he just came God. back. He's this good. Fucking... Oh, there he is. Okay, there we go. Oh, I'm good. Okay, all right. Well, that was that was not bad timing <laughs> though. We did it for two hours without my internet fucking up. Um, I want to ask you before you before I have to let you go, because uh, I've been asking everybody this kind of thing, this one thing. Actually, no, I'm going to ask you two things, because I'm doing, I'm doing one. One, if you've got, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself, if you could, your younger self, if you could, right now? Slow down. Okay. I, I was always shot out of a cannon moving a million miles an hour. And, the, and uh, the only reason why it really worked out for me the other day is because I slowed my act down. Wow. Slow down and... Uh, like we were saying before, savor, savor not only uh, that cup of coffee or that what that smell of rose, but savor your act as you're saying it to watch mm -hmm. that laugh unfold. That's a good advice. That and uh, that and uh, if comics, you got to get a car. <laughs> <laughs> you're a comic, have a car. I'm so dude. Scared. That saved my ass in the beginning because I, every other comic I knew had a DUI. Oh really? And I, yeah, and I didn't. When I say yeah, there was there were comics that just couldn't drive because they were you know, whatever. And I had a brand. I had a brand. When I started, I worked at a bank full time, uh -huh. and I was making stupid money, you know, because and it, and it was stupid money by the way, because I'm a fucking moron when it comes to math and finances. So I don't know, I don't know how I got that job in the first place. Like it was people literally like i had a business card that said like let me help you with your finances and people would come in and be like i need help with my uh money market account and i'd be like me too <laughs> <laughs> do you know anybody <laughs> like oh, yeah, i have funny. no idea um but yeah it was but i but i bought a, i bought a new car and so that was it man i i took that i beat the hell out of that thing i took it with me everywhere yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I, I had to do, uh, I had to do an audition in Cleveland one time. I drove from Long Island to Cleveland. I didn't have money to stay at a hotel, so I parked in a cornfield and slept in the cornfield. Wow! <laughs> oh my God! Wait, I've got. See, I love this. Centra. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. I, I had a, um, I'm a. So this is this is a dumb, dumb young person comedian mistake, right? So I'm doing gigs in Boston, and I, uh, they. I don't remember what the deal was, but they were like, get a hotel and we'll cover it. And I'm like, great, whatever it was, right? It was like a right. four or five gigs I had to do that weekend in Boston. And uh, I'm like, okay, great. And I fucking like a moron. I don't know why I did this. I waited. I didn't do it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So I never booked a And I was like, I'll just do it when I get into the city. Yeah. It's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. Well, it was, it was fucking college weekend. And oh, people were graduating, yeah. and I was calling hotels trying to get a trying to get a fucking room, and they were like, every hotel within a fucking fifty is gone, dude. Yeah. Like you were not, and I I tried driving or whatever, couldn't couldn't find one. 
So I slept in my car in the parking yeah. lot of a hotel. <laughs> and then I woke up the next morning and had continental breakfast because no one... <laughs> Yeah, no one's checking. They don't care. Yeah, no one's checking. And I literally, like, I was just like, fuck it. I got up, yeah. got dressed. And if you walk in anywhere with authority, they don't fucking question you. No, you're no. I mean, I, I've i done a lot of road. I, I've done every state in this country, Canada. I've done England and everything. And if you're a good road comic, you learn to survive no matter what. Yep. The car is just part of it. I always, I always say, you take a good road comic, you put him in the desert naked, in the afternoon, mm-hmm. that night, that night, they'll have clothes on their back, <laughs> food in their belly, money. They'll have a show to do, and they'll probably be getting laid. <laughs> That's so great. That's yeah. so fucking. I need that. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that a thing, and I'm gonna hang it on a plaque on a wall because I, I need, need that. To hang with nothing but road comics. John Fox was one of the best road comics ever. Oh. I have uh, John Fox was an animal. I worked with him in Jersey, and and uh, I, I worked with Kinnison and all those guys, Carl Bove and all those guys a lot. But John Carl, Fox, holy shit! I, I came in. Yeah, rest his soul. What? Oh my god, yeah, dude! But that he was, was a good friend and. But I remember the story of John Fox. I came into the, the hotel, uh, the, the condo in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and um, and John Fox is just leaving, and I'm coming in. Hey, John, how you doing? We sat and we talked for a little while, and then uh, and then he was he left. And then I, I uh, shut the door. I'm going back to my room, and then he, I hear knocking on the door, you know? And I open yeah. up the door, and he goes, don't, uh, don't, eat, don't eat the mayonnaise. I, I came in it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what he would do. He would he would jerk off into the mayonnaise. Oh my god! I go, I go, John. I'm not eating anything from this condo anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I work with that, like- that same room. I worked with these two guys, Mac and Zach. It was these two black guys. One guy was 550 pounds. The other guy was 350 pounds. Holy shit! And the, the way they came on the stage was like. The little guy came, you'd hear boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba. and the little guy would get on stage with these flashlights like he's bringing in a plane. <laughs> and the second guy would come in who was even bigger than him, and they'd be on stage together. Big, huge, wow. huge guys. So I get to the same room, that same, the next time I was there after mm. John Fox, uh, that episode, on uh, the next time, it was three months, four months later, six months, whatever the rotation was, and Mac and Zach are in there. We have a layover. So I'm staying in one room and they're, they're in the living room and they got they got a portable fryer plugged into the wall and they're frying chicken in the living room and right. they're letting it they're letting it the grease drip out on the towels from the condo. Oh my god. So I sat there in the living room with Mac and Zach, these two huge guys, eating the best fried chicken that I've ever had in my life. Wow. That they're frying up in the living room on this little plug-in fryer. Wow. And now I'm realizing why when I started doing stand-up, they wouldn't let us have steaks. They didn't let us stay in nice hotel rooms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now it's all becoming clear to me. That's fucking great, though. Yeah. I did uh, – that was another thing, too. Like, the amount of confidence – that a comic gets from doing the road in real life applied in real life is unnatural. Like it should be outlawed because like, I remember my friends, this isn't even a comedy gig, but my friends and I had stayed uh, in a hotel somewhere and we had, we had woken up a little after, like maybe it wasn't even direct, you know, uh, a little after the continental breakfast ended. Right. But I knew they still, I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm trying to like finagle some shit. Right. And normally nine times out of 10, I get exactly what I want. 
but there was this fucking dick behind the counter who was like, no, no, you missed it. You fucking missed it. And he was being an asshole about it. Yeah. yeah. And he was like, got to wake up earlier, man. You want that work? You know, you got to wake up. And I hate anybody telling me what to. So uh, I was like, this uh, motherfucker. Yeah. So he turns around and I walk into the direction where the kitchen is. It's unlocked. I open it, go into the back of the kitchen. I grab bowls, cereal, <laughs> milk, and a thing or whatever. And I walk past him and I'm like, it's fine. I got it, man. Don't worry about it. And I just got all this shit. And they're just like, what the fuck? I was like, fuck <laughs> you. Like all yeah. this crap. And I remember coming down later and bringing all the bowls and shit. Like, don't fucking tell me. I, can't. <laughs> uh, I love that. That's all from the road. Yeah, you know, you know where uh, when like we were talking about before, comedians when they get together, we have a certain commonality about us, so yeah. we share a lot. But when we're out, when we're out on the road and, and we're doing these gigs, and sometimes you're not with your friends, you're with new comics that you don't know, or yeah. so a lot of times we're we're told to do gigs by yourself. You're you yeah. know one one comedian, you know, and that's where being a rogue. Uh, uh, fills out the description of who we are, who we really are. We're rogues, right. you know, like in Jaws. You know, uh, a great white shark is a rogue. <laughs> it swims alone, and you know. And so when when Richard Dreyfus describes it, and that's we are. We're like great white sharks. We're rogues. We we go into, we swim into a situation. We we uh, assess it. You know. Yeah. How am I going to win this over? A la taking the amber colored Budweiser, pouring it out, filling it with water, and drinking it to make them think you fit in with them type of thing. Yep. And it's a survival technique. So we master many survival techniques, whether it's sleeping in a car or uh, or surviving on stage, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's I always feel like uh especially in the beginning when you're when you're on stage when I was doing stand-up or whatever, it felt like uh when I would went over the teacher in school if i had forgotten to do the assignment because if i was charming and if i was funny yeah it didn't fuck it they, i just got away with whatever they didn't care at that point he was like well he's making the class laugh and he's yeah. ha you know he's doing whatever i don't know what it is but i love that you know it's a personality job we make money with our personalities you yeah know? and again if we use all our tools in our arsenal if you could use your hands and your head and your mm. and different physicality you know things about your physical yeah, being. I mean, that's good too. But it's a, it's a personality job. We make money with our personalities. You know? Yeah, I've never been fired from a job. I've been hated at the job by like my employer, like like by like a boss or whatever. But I no, nine times out of ten, I mean, I've had like I've had like over like twenty regular part time days, whatever. I did clothing. Right. I did sales. I worked at concession yeah. stands. I worked at a beach. Whatever. Nine times out of ten, I was I survived at those jobs because of my personality. That's yeah, it. Somebody I, important liked me. That's right. And that's what matters. I yeah. I made the most money I ever made by asking, by being asked not to perform. <laughs> yeah. What was, was uh, this? Um, it was the remember, remember a couple of years ago when John Legend did Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. He did it in Brooklyn at the uh, the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Okay. I think that's where it was, or it was it was a big it was a big um oh the army um it was a big army old army building they they shot it at. It was like a Broadway play. Yeah, yeah. And they had like two thousand people in the audience, so they decided they needed a warm-up guy. Right. So I said, I want I want it's a big deal. It's a big audience and there's a lot going on and, and I'm gonna be working hard. So, you know, I want three thousand a show and I need a thousand in transportation to get from Long Island to 
to uh, to Brooklyn back and forth with car service and stuff. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, the show is on Sunday night. It was on Easter about three, four years ago. So we're going to do a rehearsal on Friday. So come in on Friday and we'll do a rehearsal and we'll pay you. For, we won't pay you for that, but we'll pay you for Saturday and Sunday. Okay. So I go in, do the rehearsal and they decide that it's more like a Broadway show, which Broadway shows don't have warm up guys. Right. They don't really need a warm up guy. So I'm doing a, they had a little bit of an audience and they only had like three or 400 people, but this thing seated 2000. So I did what I do. And they said, you know what? You were great, but we don't really need you tonight. So uh, you can just go home. The producer who hired me called me the next morning and said, we're not going to need you Saturday. We're doing a full rehearsal with full audience, but we're not going to need you. We'll pay you. Wow. Yes, we might might need you Sunday for the live show. I said, okay. Sure enough, they called me Saturday night. We're not going to need you for the live show. Everything went, went, went well Saturday. And the offices of that play happened to be in the same building where we shot Rachel Ray. I show up that Tuesday morning. There's a, the producer is there. She hands me a check for seven grand. Wow. wow. I, never, I never really worked. Holy wow. shit. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I just did a little bit of, little bit of warm up at the first rehearsal. That was it. But seven grand was a, was a, was yeah. a nice thing for that weekend. Good gig. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was fun. Can I get the same thing? Of Who course. Well, you look like Christ. So. <laughs> 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 oh my i I don't, I don't know how this managed to turn out like that but yeah that that is the sad truth it's i either look like jesus or the dude that gave jenny aids and forrest gump <laughs> it's a it's a real coin toss <laughs> wow wouldn't have, wouldn't have thought of that guy but <laughs> it's my it's my go-to it's fun oh oh, man i got one more question for you because i like to know this kind of thing um i feel like comedians music you know there's a lot there's a lot going on there like relation wise or whatever what is there a favorite what what album or song got you through when you were on the road especially for road comics is there something that you listened to that got you pumped up or just that kept you going on the road well, I, I used to come on. I'm a big blues fan, so I love Stevie Ray Vaughan. So I used to use him okay. a lot as nice. intro music. But you know, when I was on the road and I heard, you know, "Faithfully" by by Journey. Journey, uh, fuck make yes. Me, make me miss my wife and Wheel in the Sky. There, I love Journey. Yeah. But I'm a big Pink Floyd guy, so comfortably okay. numb and all that. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big Stones guy. Not too much with the Beatles. I mean, everybody loves the Beatles. The Beatles, yeah, I like yeah. The Beatles, but not really. But, um. Songs that got me through on the road, um, you know, it was it all change it it, it it changes from from song to song. Now, sure. now I'm right now. I'm, I'm my head is is at um, there's a band called Buckethead, and there's a a, a song that they do called uh, "A Light in the Fog," and it's it's just an instrumental. Ooh. There's no there's no music. There's no words to it. Right. It's it, Buckethead is the band. It's called A Light in the Fog. Okay. I'm and gonna this, write that down. This tune sits in my head now. It's uh it's it's a bluesy thing and it's 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 just a beautiful, beautiful song to like watch a sunset to or just to inspire. And uh it's a lot of a lot of strong leads in it. But wow. I love uh, I love Joe Bonamassa, 
you know, Down Around My Place is another great song, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. So so it's many. Uh, uh, Foley, um, what's the guy? Uh, the guy, uh, I forget his name now. Uh, not Mick Foley. <laughs> no, not Mick Foley. Uh, the other guy, yeah. They just did a movie about him. I forget what it is now. I was on him for a little while. They just did a but, movie about him? Wait, who the hell yeah, is that? Uh, what's his name, this guy? Oh, I forget his name. Clay is Pigeons it, is, is, is one of the main songs that he does. Clay uh, Pigeons? Foley? Was it? Blaze? Blaze Foley? Blaze Foley, yeah. Blaze Foley has a song. It's the last song on that album. He was killed a while ago. They did a, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hawkins. Uh, Stephen uh, Hawkins? No. Uh, Jesus Christ, my memory is shot. Um, they just did a movie about his life, Blaze Foley. Okay. Hmm. And, and, it, and the song is called "If I Can Only Fly," and if you listen to that song, it's just it's just cut to the bone emotion. Okay. Yeah, you got to listen to that song. If I can only fly, by if I can only fly. Holy, and it and I and you can put that song to um, people you'd like to be with that you wish were with you, people Ooh. in the past, and you wish you know. It's it's just another song that like hits. Hard, you know. I, I never, um, I never go for like a lighthearted song. I always everything <laughs> that, I, that I listen to, uh, you know, cuts to the heart. You know. Yep, it's funny, man. We we were just talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, who, Tom? Who the hell were we talking about that with? About music? Was it was was it one of the bands we had on? I, I believe so. With uh, I swear to God, they said the same thing, Joey. It was something we were all we were all saying the same yeah. thing. Where it's like, I like songs that have a good lyric that are meteor that, that means shit that like, let you, yeah. like the, the pop stuff. I mean, I get it. I, I like a good pop song the same way. I like a good McDonald's burger, you know, like yeah, sometimes I don't want the real yeah. thing. I just want some junk, but that's exactly right. I do the same yeah. thing. I had a quarter pound of cheese the other day. Yeah, <laughs> buddy. Oh <laughs> my God. Sticks on. Oh my God. That was my band. Look oh. at uh, the grand illusion. Come yes. on. Grand illusion and renegade and all of those. Yeah. My favorite. Oh. oh my god! Yeah, we had that. You said journey. Had, you you named two journey songs, man. I fucking love journey. When I was doing the Rosie O'Donnell show, you never knew who was going to be in that Rosie audience because everybody loved the Rosie show so much. Sam Champion wow. would always be there, and Soledad O'Brien would be there, sure. and and um the guy from Sticks, uh, Dennis DeYoung, was in the audience one time, and Rosie wow. looks at me and goes. Joey, is that Dennis DeYoung in the audience? And I go, I don't know. Are you Dennis DeYoung? And he goes, yeah, I'm Dennis DeYoung. Oh, my God. <laughs> I got a great story. One time, I'm warming up the Rosie O'Donnell show. And there's yeah. a man in the audience, an older man. And he had gray hair, and it was pulled back, and he had glasses. He had, I think he had a goatee or a little bit of a beard. Mm -hmm. And he was by himself. And the NBC pages brought him in, and he was by himself. And, you know, um, not that I'm bragging at all, but – I would get hit on a lot at the show by men and women. I have a couple stalkers throughout the country. And <laughs> I, can, I, I believe that I have stalker stories that will just blow your mind. There's a guy that wants to eat raw deer meat with me. To this day, <laughs> I, don't, I really don't go back. I think he just described the plot to Deer Hunter. Oh, my God. So, But anyway, this guy is in the audience. And um, the whole show, and he's an older man. Mm -hmm. And the, old, the whole show is kind of calling me over and going, hey, I like the way you did that. That's a funny joke. You're, you know, yeah, I like your energy and this and that. And I'm like, right. oh, thanks, man. Hey, thanks. 
And I, but I'm, you know, I got 177 people in the audience. I'm kind of shooting coos balls at them, and we're giving stuff away. <laughs> I'm running around like a maniac. I got John McDean and McDLTs, and they're playing Mustang Sally. Mustang, oh. you know, we're going crazy, and I'm trying to keep all these plates spinning. I, I don't really have time to spend with one old guy in the audience. Right. So after the show, Rosie only signed autographs for the little kids. So the mm -hmm. adults kind of left, and the parents of the little kids stayed. And I, I coordinated Rosie signing the autographs. And then right. we did the studio. We usually did one live at one show live at ten o'clock, and on a Thursday we did a ten and a two. I forget which one he was at. Maybe he was at the live show. So the guy mm -hmm. left, right? And um, so he, the one of the NBC pages said, "Listen." The guy wants to send you something. So, so I said, well, what'd you do? She said, well, I said, just send it here to 30 Rock and attention Joey Cola and we'll we'll get it to you. I said, okay, fine. So I figured, I don't know, the guy might have had a crush on me or whatever. I don't know. Because that happened <laughs> in those days. Right. Anyway, I get the thing about a month later. It's a bottle of Crown Royal and two glasses and a letter from the guy really enjoyed you. You inspired the audience, blah, blah, blah. Stan Lee. So now, no, so now no. I am not a comic book guy and I don't know who this guy is. Right. So now I take the crown Royal, put it in my, my, my liquor cabinet. I put the glasses in there and I just take the card. And I was like, I don't know who this guy is. Stan Lee. I guess he's hitting on me, but, I said to my wife, do you know who this guy is? I don't know who he is. So I threw the letter out. Oh, oh no. About four years later, I find out Stan Lee is Stan Lee. <laughs> yeah. I, I see him. I see it because all the comic stuff came back. So yeah. I see a picture of him and I go, holy shit. I go to my wife. I go, that's the guy that was hitting on me, but he wasn't really hitting on me. <laughs> or I, I said, I thought he was hitting on me, but he wasn't. He was just giving me a compliment. Yeah. So then I, so I, I saved a lot of that stuff. I got the Bob right. Ross stuff. I got autographs from this person, that person, baseball, this and that, Joan Rivers and Howie Mandel and Howard Stern. I did Howard Stern's birthday party. I warmed that up and I got, huh. he sent me a letter. Wow. I got all that stuff. So I go up in my attic during the COVID, and, I, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm wondering if I – did I save the Stan Lee thing? Did I not? I searched every inch of the house, and I, I think I got rid of it. Oh, oh my God. But it was Stan that's, Lee. Yeah. That's nuts, man. Yeah. That's a fucking great story. Do you story. know what was my first thought when you said hair, like, slicked all, like pushed all the way back? Like, I was like, was it Stan Lee? When you said the goatee, I'm like, oh, I guess not. Probably not Stan Lee. Yeah, he had a little bit of facial hair, but he had – his yeah, hair was then, white yeah. and like John's hair is. That was yeah. almost that long. But, wow. but at that point, though, remember, we, we did the show from 96 to 202, 2002. Yeah. So it was pre a lot of the yeah. uh, superhero stuff happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. there was no no superhero movies no like that in the 90s. It was barely, I would think it was, what was it? Uh, was it an Affleck Batman, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 it was yeah it was uh god yeah it was the batman shit i actually think marvel was going through a bankruptcy if it was early to mid 90s yeah, yeah. Before the yeah. so that's that's fucking wild yeah, dude so he wasn't because it because later in later in his life he would have had bodyguards around him because he became that big you know yeah 
Yeah, yeah man. I mean, that that, that that was sad. His life, um, I I think the last year or so of his life was not uh, was not that great for what I like. He had oh, a lot of bad people around him at the time, which is just fucking yeah. breaks my heart, dude. He was a great, you know, just a really cool dude. Yeah, it was a fun How audience. We we um, you know, one time, uh, what's his name came out. Who's the singer? Uh, Hasselhoff. Big in, oh yeah, big in Germany. So he comes out and he's going to make an entrance. Rosie goes, ladies and gentlemen, David Hasselhoff. So he's got his little DVDs that are like this square, little yeah. little cardboard thing, and the, the points of plastic. I mean, the cardboards are sharp. He starts flinging them like frisbees into the audience, <laughs> and one gets a lady, boom, right in the eye. Uh, so lawsuit there. Wow. Uh, had Did you? This lady from um sh from Chicago from from she was from California. Mm -hmm. She was a little bit nuts, and she saw that the, there was a gorilla in the Chicago Zoo that that a kid fell into the gorilla uh, cage, and the gorilla took the kid and held the baby, and that woman deduced oh. in her own crazy mind that all gorillas are angels. So she <laughs> took white sweatshirts and a Sharpie marker and drew gorillas, hand-drew gorillas with angel wings, and she made one for me, John McDaniel, and Rosie. Wow. And she was trying to make a point of doing it during a live show. So I said, mm -hmm. we got to wait till the end. We got to wait till the end. You'll be able to give them. Give me mine. Give it to John. And at the end, you'll give it to Rosie. We sat her in the back because we thought she was a little EDP, you know. Sure enough, at the end of the show, the camera, Rosie says, see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. The camera's twirling around the studio. We shoot the audience. And she goes, gorillas are angels. And she runs down from the back. Security doesn't see it. So I'm the only thing between her and Rosie as we're bumping out to a commercial to the end of the show. So I just throw her like a cross body block. And if you oh. watch that show... Oh the camera God. catches me and her rolling around on the floor. <laughs> and she smelled. She, was, she lived. She drove cross country in a station wagon. And this is how crazy she was. She parked it in front of 30 Rock on 6th Avenue. Just left it there. <laughs> Just left a car there. So oh, my God. oh, my God. Craziness, man. Just crazy. Oh, that's fucking hysterical. Yeah. I, we need a movie about that woman. Was it Jane Goodall? Okay. <laughs> and yeah, it turns I wrote, out I a sitcom called the warm-up guy and i got it, i got it we got you oh. got it, we got it um we got a copy written uh about it's about That's my a, life as a as a warm-up guy and all the stuff that happens backstage from you know the, the 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 tiger before it comes out biting somebody and who got hit in the head with a camera and all the stuff that no. goes on and all the shows right. I've, warmed, I've warmed up about you know about 16 18 different shows over the 28 years that i've been yeah. doing you know, wow. did you know uh, the head writer at the Rosie O'Donnell show, Linda Smith? Very well. So this is you're going to see this is where it all connects. My I took a class with I, I took a comedy class and Linda Smith taught it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's how I that's how I got started, which I never. Oh, wow. I, Linda's great. Yeah, I love Linda. Linda. Linda's my Linda was my first like uh, I. I um like support, like, you know what I mean? Like she, I, I was 30 people in that class and me. And, um, I, the first day I did it, cause I dropped, I, I went to college for a year. Right. I dropped out. Right. Uh, and started doing stand up Cause that's the only thing I ever wanted to do. Yeah. That was it. 
and I hated being in college. And uh, I, had a, I had a close friend who just passed away about a year ago who uh, went on to sing and she played like five different instruments. She uh -huh. was amazingly talented. Uh -huh. But we were really close when we were younger and in high school. Senior year turns around. Everybody's going to college. She's going to L.A. And she's like, don't be fucking stupid. Come to Los Angeles. She wrote, she, she wrote it in my yearbook. She wrote it. She left me messages and I still have wow. saved and all this other crap. And she was like, you know, you want to do con just fucking do it. Yeah. And I was too, you know, everybody oh, was doing it. My girlfriend was just going to do it. You got him? Okay. There he is. Oh, sorry. Am I here? Yeah. yeah you're back now now. You are. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. Sorry. Sweet. Um. So I don't know where I left off, but cut, so I'll go. Yeah, she goes to LA, but like, you know, she wants me to do that. And I don't. You know, I, I just go to college because I think it's a safe bet. My girlfriend at the time is going, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So anyway, drop out after a year. I see the comedy class thing. And my parents are like super cool with it. I take the class and sh I didn't know that you had to prepare material. So the first day I get in there and she's like, all right, you all have your first two minutes. Go up and do whatever. But I had been writing stuff forever. Like yeah. I, I want to be but I had a notebook anyway. So she's like, go up and do two minutes. And I was like, well, I don't have anything. I didn't prepare anything for the class. And she's like, I don't care. <laughs> she's yeah. like, just go up and do two minutes of whatever the fuck you want to yeah. do. And I did. And I had like some stuff that I'd written down in my notebook for years. But like, I just went and improvised two minutes. Yeah. And she loved it. And then uh, she had us do all these awesome exercises, you know, and all this other stuff. But for the main part, as I built this five minute set, and uh, I have it. And it was my, it was about Caroline's and I did really well. I mean, for somebody that knew, right. But the best thing was, is I blew through my material. I ran through it. It was a great, I had a, a row of my, uh, just one table only because I didn't invite a ton of people, but it was my mom, my stepdad and like five of my closest friends. Yeah. And then they all came to New York and the rest, for whatever reason, I just lucked out that the people that were else were on that show brought everybody they fucking knew. So right. I got to perform in front of strangers, basically. That's great. Yeah, set goes well, but I run out of my material. So I start to do what I have honed over the years, which is just improvise right. a little bit. So I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, but, you know, I I, I had a lot of stuff I was going to say, but most of it sucked or whatever. And I'm like, and I said, Linda said she would give me the light when I went over, but I, I don't see light. And she just knew she could play with me. So yeah. she was like, you're not over. And I was like, what? She goes, wow. you're not over. I go, thanks. And it was just this back and forth. So yeah. she was, she was just, I mean, immediately after that, she was like, she gave me another gig somewhere yeah. else, told else to book me on a thing. And then that was it. I always told her, I haven't got a sitcom. She was going to play my wife. Oh my God! That I would, would love be... to have been her, me and her as as a husband and wife on a show. You know, it would have been great. I love. Linda. She's a, she's so great. And I remember the first time I got to see her because she wouldn't let any of us come see her because we were her oh. students. You know, right? Um, but I got to hang out with her and Colin Quinn. Oh yeah, and I was again too young, too new. But they Colin couldn't have been nicer. I don't know him that that or didn't know him that well, or and still don't know him that well, but. Couldn't have been nicer, and great she guy. fucking crushed. Yeah, yeah, she's hilarious. Yeah, so that's great. That the, two two more people who I started at—that's my generation. Wow. Colin and I auditioned for a play at the Latin Quarter years ago. <laughs> oh wow! Really? What was yeah. the What was the play? I don't even know what it was. Just him and I oh. were the only two comics. Everybody else was actors. So we were him and I. We wow. just met at that point, and we're sitting in the back, just making fun of all the actors because we were the two the only two comedians. 
<laughs> right. Oh, that's fucked. That's got. I see. I would have paid to be a fly on the wall listening to you two shit on the other actors yeah, in the room. Yeah. yeah, back in the day, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's fucking great. Yeah, that was. So that was. I mean, I love that you that it that you know Linda too because that was. Uh, I think she. I got a call. She's 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 really she's been really nice. Again, I just yeah, lucked out, man. Wow, well, you just reminded me. I should give her a call. Yeah, let's see her on at least. Oh my god reach out on Facebook or something, you know, that's what yeah. I love Facebook about because, um, because you could just, you could, you could be in touch with everybody or nobody mm. from every aspect of your life, you know? Yeah. And yeah. she, Oh, by the way, that was another thing too, is she always put me up when I, if I needed to work out something, if I had a TV set that I was preparing for, if I had whatever it was and I called Linda, she'd be like, uh, yeah, come on my whatever show on Monday at Caroline's. And yeah, I, 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 I she'd always put me up. Couldn't oh, have been nicer to me. She she's a, a nurture a comic nurturer. She she nurtures comics. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She was very protective. Like I, I remember somebody had uh, I, I will tell I'll tell you afterward or whatever. But somebody had come up to me. I had a good set. Yeah, and this comic that had been around forever came up and did that thing where you know unsolicited advice. Uh, it was like you do this, don't do that, and but and you, and you too, do whatever. Uh, and Linda. Linda came up. I remember just going get the fuck away from my comedian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she was like, "Don't listen to him. You're, fu you know, whatever." I remember that like she swooped in like a mom immediately. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of comics that'll do that because they're they're so um they don't want any other comics in the business. They want it. They want it all for them, and they don't want anybody else working. You know, Rodney told me he said, "For as many people as there are in show business, that's how many pe ways there are to make it in show business." Wow. There's, there's no blueprint. There's no blueprint. There is right. no blueprint. Whether you're a comic, a singer, an actor, no matter what you are, in uh, in, in in show business, there is no blueprint on how to quote make it or not. Right. You know, that, so that's that's great. You just perform. You just perform and do whatever you do. If there's an audience, they'll find you. If 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 you can make a living at it, you will. If not, the audience and the the universe will tell you you have to you know do something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. quickly. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm one of a few that are left from my generation on Long Island. I mean, it's me, Melvin George, Peter Bales, John Trusen, um maybe Bartlett and I mean, Nelson doesn't really work that much anymore, but this mm -hmm. out of, out of like, I'm, I'm out of a hundred and you know, 80 to a hundred of uh, my contemporaries that started my generation. There's only four left, you know, four wow. left that are here. Wow. And I, and I did a lot of road too. I, you know, I, there was, there was seven years where I actually left <laughs> Long Island and um, cause I didn't get along with the, the uh, club owners at the time, two of the yeah. club owners at the time. And I just right. did the road. I did a lot of road. But there was also a time when there was, you know, between eight and ten full-time clubs here on Long Island. There used to be a club out in East Quag called Laughs, and and Chris Rock opened up for me there. And and also years ago there was a place called the Mowbray Street Cafe, and I was Holy the first shit. one to bring um, comedy uh, to television on Long Island because um, cable had just come out on Long Island, Group W Cable, and. It went to 120,000 households, and they had like 100 channels, and they had nothing to fill in the channels. So one of the channels, my friend who I went to high school with, Tony Luizzi, um, he he and this guy, Lou Schaffberg, managed Group W Cable over in Islip, which is right next to Bayshore. 
mm-hmm. they had a channel where these two guys who these fishermen who were clamorous on the Great South Bay, they'd sit in these lawn chairs and they'd go, I got a couple of bushel, bushels of little necks. So I got some cherry stones. And it was like, <laughs> you couldn't watch it for more than five seconds. So, so Tony said, why don't we do like an evening at the improv or a, a comedy show at the Mowbray Street Cafe? They're already doing shows there. How mm-hmm. about you produce it? You host it. You you do your own warm up, and we get comics from the, the the comedy clubs on Long Island East Side and the city to come out and do it. Well, we did about <clears throat> we did about twenty of those shows, and Rich Jenny had done it, and and a bunch of other comics have done it. Matter of fact, the girl who was an intern on that show just reached out to me, and then there was another kid one night that comes in, little curly headed kid, and he goes, hey, Mister Coley, you mind if I do five minutes on the show? I go, how long are you? do you live around here? He goes, I'm in town for a couple weeks. My grandmother lives in Bayshore. So I said, do you got any material? He goes, I got a couple of jokes. And uh, he goes, you want me to come back next week? Yeah, come on back. So I said, yeah, come on back next week. Just organize five minutes and I'll put you up, Adam yeah. Sandler. Wow. Oh, shit. To this day when I see him, because he did it when I was warming up Kevin James's show, the Kevin can wait and the crew over here, Beth page, uh, Adam was on it. And right. he, as soon as he, as soon as he sees me, he comes up to me and goes, remember that show we did, man. Yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like 15 years old and you hosted and you put me on it. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. Yeah. He's another guy who just seems like such a chill down to earth. Great. Like guy. great. Nice. Chill, same thing. Another guy, you know, <clears throat> people are confident. Uh, in themselves when you when you're, yeah. when you're confident being with yourself when you're alone around people uh it, it you exude that you know and it makes people feel comfortable around you right you want to hear yeah, something and i always like that he oh go ahead oh no i was gonna say they had uh larry hankin on jason's show the other day i didn't get to see it because i was gigging right so, right uh larry hankin so he was mr heckles but in the in billy madison he was carl crazy mm-hmm. carl oh okay yeah <laughs> So they asked him something about Adam Sandler. He's like, uh, I really didn't get along with him. He was a prankster. I, I need to rewatch this interview and see what, what happened Probably. to him. I don't know why he would say that. That's hilarious. <laughs> right? I'm like, he was a prankster. Unbelievable. I, that's another thing, too. And I don't know if that must be that long thing meant like, uh, I like that he kind of takes care of his friends. Like you always see him yeah. spade. And he was you know. funny back then. Adam was he was funny as a as a teenager. I mean, I he, yeah. he his his grandmother lived in Bayshore, but he's from Vermont. I, th- I mean, uh, New Hampshire, I think. So I guess yeah. they were originally from Brooklyn, but I think they moved to New Hampshire afterwards or whatever. So he was down visiting his grandmother in Bayshore. So he just mm-hmm. stopped in to see what was going on and asked wow. to go on. You know, so. Um, One of my favorite jokes is when he was younger is uh, when he said, what he used to say, uh, you know, my father told me to find a girl who think who, to marry a girl who thinks the same way as a family. And he said, uh, why would I want to marry a girl who thinks I'm a schmuck, dad? <laughs> 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 like the best like kid, li- you know, like teen line. It's so great. That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I, I, I like we, we, I think that we broke a record. We did. Yeah, we, I think we did. This is the longest. This is two hours and 45 minutes. Wow. That's, yeah. It seems like we just got started, didn't it? I know. Right? It does I seem like, like we just got I feel I, like we could do a full 90, a 90 hour one with yeah, you, I Joey. Could, I could write a book. Everybody's telling me to write a book, so I think I'm going to need down. to. Last time I saw Ray Romano, you got to write a book, man. You got to write a book. <laughs> so, um, my wife's been telling me, and so many people have been telling me to write a book. Um, I Please. just did this uh, Long Island just did a thing on the fanfare. 
uh, fanfare, funny, funny story. Uh, the history of comedy on Long Island. Oh my God! Oh, nice. Look at that. that picture of me and Leno, and then is Eddie Murphy, wow. and Jackie Martling, and uh, yeah, wow. he did a whole thing about um, you know, about comedy on Long Island, the history of comedy on Long Island, and there's some great pictures there. There's there's Murphy on stage at the East Side Comedy Club and stuff, and oh, with Bartlett, yeah, yeah, with Bartlett there, and. Kevin and Jackie stage and and uh yeah. yeah yeah so you know oh and, my uh, god and, that's great so, yeah so it you know the comedy um I actually helped this guy with this uh with this article and uh, that's fantastic man but I've been it's it's been it's been a wild ride man I didn't even tell you about my cruise ship stuff going, that happened well, with that. I I'm gonna have you back first of all I need I need to have you back on again but I know Joe Starr wants to come on side by we, you you both want to come on oh, and that's well, going to be my great buddy you know he's yeah. so so we we'd love to do it together we yeah we, we i'm gonna have you both on creation for old vaudeville and stuff like that too you know he does and he's got like this rolodex of just street jokes oh, he's, and shit. he's he's nobody tells jokes like him but yeah. he's, he's real show business educated yes you know? like he's knee deep in the acting end and everything i mean he's, yeah we yeah. we talk like every day almost every day yeah. or every other day yeah, yeah, he's my good and he, yeah, and you guys talk all the time. It's a, he'll either be like, I just got off the phone with Cole. He actually, he will be talking, and he'll be like, Oh, Cole is calling me. I gotta go. Click. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know where I stand. I know where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, you're, yeah. you're still young yet. We we want we're still putting stuff together so we could speak at each other's eulogies, whichever one goes first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so oh, coming down to the nitty gritty right now. Don't forget to tell the the when because we're producing our funerals basically at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. This has been you... great, man. Thanks for having me on this. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, I do a lot of podcasts and some Zoom shows here and there, but. I knew it would be in here with you guys. It was going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to talk business and, and yeah. just nice hang. And that's what it was. Thanks, yeah, man. man. No, seriously, we, I've been looking forward to this too. And I'm glad you got to come on. And we got, I, I'm seriously, I'm so, this was like the easy for me, man. You did all the talking. <laughs> I, <laughs> I didn't have I'm, to do this. I'm is great. No, seriously, I'm getting I, it on is what I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to my great grandmother right now. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> oh man. Well, seriously, thanks again for coming on, and we'll do it again soon, man. Because this is—I know you got more you to got talk it. about, and I got more questions. You got it, Tom. It's been yeah. a pleasure to work with you, my friend. Such a pleasure. I can't wait to see you on more of it. I, we love to have you every time you're on the station, man. You're so Thank so you, good. Man. Thank you. Well, you give me a call. We'll do it every so often, okay? Um, I can't. I'm gonna hold you to it. I promise you, 150. Yeah, you guys got my number. You're not bothering me. Call me whenever you want. I'm always available. Perfect. I mean, we're in my yard so, doing my plants or feeding my birds or, uh, you know, raising birds. Yeah. I love it. You Beautiful. have a great energy, man. I feel like it's such a positive, like, I, I just, I enjoy a lot of John's guests. Like, a lot a lot of people that we've been blessed to have in this circle of everybody that I've been fortunate enough Thank to meet you, through all you guys. Thank yeah, you, just good energies and you you put it out into the world and i feel like that's a big thing i think well, that's what that's what i enjoy most i said a lot of people took a lot of bad out of, out of this pandemic i was like I, I went from uh like my career of what i did like because it's in live entertainment just froze so i you know i never would have been in these circles if i didn't get the chance to meet all of these amazing people yeah. and you're one of those amazing people i appreciate well, I, that i'm a director i'm a director uh, i'm just a vessel you know, the, not that I want to get religious or anything, but the Holy Spirit lives in, and exudes through me. So everything you see 
is not has nothing to do with with this thing. This thing it has to <laughs> yeah. do with uh, what's what's moving through me into the world because we're only here for a half hour. So I'm hoping and this I appreciate thing that. can make it. You know, uh, one if I could just end on this one note. When my mother yeah. passed away, Absolutely. you know, I um I I had kind of an epiphany, and um you know you know when you when you have like um a line um you know uh let me just get a pen well you know a lot there's just a, a line uh, like yeah, there's a pencil right there's a line yeah the line so there's a dot and let's just say there's a dot in the middle of this line right there right mm -hmm. yeah the dot the dot in the middle of the line is us alive now on the planet a finite yeah. amount of people whether it be 700 billion or whatever it is it's a dot the size of a pinhead right there now this side of the dot are the people that have been here and gone this side of the dot are the, are the souls that haven't been here yet we're a finite amount which means that we're in a very 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 small minority just being alive here on the planet at the same time yeah so the souls that haven't been here and the ones that have already been here and gone are in a vast majority. So it's about that. So whatever is moving in the universe, whether you want to call it God or whatever, moves through in a positive way. If you could harness that and tap into it and be privy to it, uh, hip to it, and you could share it, then you will have validated whatever existence the Holy Spirit intended for you. And I hope to, I try to live that out every day. Do I? No, you know, I don't, I don't live, I don't, I can't keep the promises every day because anger sneaks in, but we're human. Right. What are you going to do? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I appreciate being here in the moment with you guys, you know, same here, Likewise, man. same man. here. And the beauty Absolutely. of it is you take that anger and make it something that other people could relate to and feed off of and use it in such a positive way. Like when you get on yeah. stage, you're able to connect it's with harmless. people over that. It's basically harmless. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, it's a great thing. Listen, really? guys, great time. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I'll talk to you both soon. Okay. Thank Absolutely, you, sir. Man. Take care. Have, have a good night, man. One. Peace. All right. You too. I'm tired now. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> 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 Dystopia tonight.